welcome back to to the podcast welcome back to big conversations we've had uh you uh jojo who else has been here twice we've had uh less than 10 people who have uh, who have managed to do this two times uh so yeah well, we're about to start giving out awards for people who come back <laughs> uh yeah well uh congratulations on the book uh one thing is for me i've i have very many thoughts and dreams of writing a book but when i sit on my computer and i say it's time to write i end up on youtube watching uh will smith slapping someone <laughs> congratulations on uh, the book and first first run me through the effort or the process basically you know how how do you get from i have these very good thoughts that i want to print out to you know i have a book published what what is the process there yeah well uh, first off thank you for having me again i was uh, sharing with you all about how i really enjoyed the first time yeah, that yeah, i true. i was hosted on this on this podcast so i would say the process for publishing a book which is uh, you know i like drawing parallels from you know from my from my life and from my profession we there's a uh, a matter uh, that uh, that I am looking into with some book publishers and they were mm-hmm. giving us the history of how publishing started in uh, Uganda how before especially for educational books uh, you know you recall the books we had longman and uh, is it uh, uh, oxford those were all foreign based books or books that were not published from Uganda and then so from when publishing was liberalized I think that was in the early 90s maybe 95 uh, 96 from then I am told that the hustle of publishing a book was you know it was uh, very prevalent in the sense that you would have to look for an illustrator for a, mm-hmm. for a designer and then you look for a publisher to be able to publish your book so somehow even from that time up to now those challenges are still there no, I imagine to get yeah. the book I had to look for an illustrator but Thankfully uh, there's a, a friend of mine Gibbons Katule who did a awesome job illustrating mm-hmm. the book mm-hmm. and uh, you know putting all the graphics that you see in there the cover page yeah. uh, he really took the the direction that was given and he created something amazing and then of course uh, looking for a publisher uh, I decided to publish the book locally one because of the content of the book it is not mm. a book that you can put in one box say maybe some yeah, book yeah, about true, philosophy true. or book about, about religion that, that, yeah. and so it was difficult to find a publisher that i felt would be able to understand but also i think uh, you know the older you get the more you start to appreciate where you come from and so i felt and i thought that uh, uganda would be a good place as well the mm. story would continue that if this book was published in uganda and it found its way wherever it finds its way then I'd feel happier and so yeah, I yeah. self published the book uh, um use and uh, uh, another uh, person Shubra Kasozi is the one who assisted in putting everything together oh, I see, I see. and okay. uh, finding a printer and printing the book and then of course mm-hmm. then where where you're seeing it now in a restock on yeah, Mahiri yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, the airport and uh, a few other bookstores that have requested for the book Yeah. Uh yeah, well first tell me about the illustration. So I saw uh, the leaf that many people may misinterpret as marijuana. <laughs> and <laughs> well, uh, and the, the Z guy. So yeah, first describe to me the sort of the vision for for this specific illustration. Yeah. Well, if they also interpreted it as marijuana, I also wouldn't mind that. But 
beyond that uh, yeah. so when i spoke with gibbons we agreed that uh, the book should be given a simple cover i didn't want something too you know too elaborate or something that would draw away from the simplicity of the book and so we thought really that having a, an image which is an image you don't know if that's a man or a woman mm, yeah, and yeah. so and uh, you know sitting sort of almost cross legged and yeah, then yeah. you have a vine uh, coming from uh, mm. from uh, from uh, their person that was it's a simple illustration really that shows the non duality of yeah. uh, of uh, of of being as you can see there are lines but the lines don't seem to connect or yet they seem to connect and that's really it's the cover as well illustrates the impermanence of things and i, see, I hope I that is something that we shall get to talk about yeah nice as nice, we, nice, nice as nice. we as we go along yeah yeah no i think i think it's time to to dive in so um one thing so i first of all read this book in a rush because i initially thought uh when we when we bought the book i initially thought you're going to come in a, i'm a very slow reader i have to confess uh, i tried to read in a rush so that when you say i'm ready to come i'm ready to to like uh sort of uh, i've read have enough information to, mm. to have this conversation but i also didn't want to have the conversation where we sort of give away the book basically yeah i wanted the podcast to be mostly about your own thoughts about you know what you're writing about so i'm going to the conversation will mostly be about what I thought the book is about but uh don't sort of feel restricted to get right to the book it's sort of more about the message itself you know what okay. is it exactly think of it as the book tour you know yes. what are you telling me? yeah yeah that, that's sort of the, the, the thoughts i have and and the first question right the book is heavy on references right so when you read there's a quote from this book there's a quote from this book there's a quote from this book uh what is this to you as a process you know are you doing like a research you know what what's it called like if you're doing a phd for example right yes. and you're writing your dissertation and if they call it dissertation you're writing that book the, mm. the, 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 the thing you submit usually you have a library of things you reference is this the sort of the same attitude you brought towards writing this book or is this just the way you naturally ah. think of things yeah well i never thought of of it that way but i guess mm. in answering it i'm an uh, i'm an academic uh, true, and true. so being an academic sometimes yeah. you you have to one rely on the previous knowledge that uh, that that other people have given to the world but also the topics that i write about really uh, there is i usually have a lot of conversations with uh, uh, with uh, my wife and whenever we mm. we discuss she's always asking me you know how sure are you that this is uh, that this is the right message how sure are you that uh, that uh, you're not just putting you know your thoughts alone and so in coming up with a book and in deciding to publish a uh, said book what i considered really was one what have other people spoken about these things and i teach meditation and meditation is not something that has existed just for a few years it's something that has existed for hundreds of years yeah yeah and so all those hundreds or thousands of years you had many teachers that have passed down these messages either verbally or in writings and of course the other references and the biggest ones i you know books like uh, the bible is a uh, books that contain the word yeah. of god and uh, and so in referencing many of these materials i was basically trying to show readers that one these things exist 
in the sense that you can be able to find many of the things that I write about in many other books as well. But I think what maybe sets a book apart or what would make you pick up a book of another is how the writer has gone through the process and how they have basically presented the book to you. It's the same thing as food. You can have very many ingredients in the garden. If I wanted to cook uh, a curry or, or uh, you know, any dish, I would go pick tomatoes, onions. Yeah, um, yeah I see what you mean. But the chef would be the one perhaps that would see the difference between a dish that you will remember or a dish that you will forget as soon as you leave the place that you have eaten the dish from. And so all these sources are me trying to speak to other chefs and to understand how did you go about this process? How did you arrive at this particular conclusion? But overall, really, I try to draw from ex- from my own experiences mm-hmm. and you see the book is heavily heavily Ugandan. I am a Ugandan and this is something I am very proud of. And so all the examples that I give, you know, sometimes we pick too much from the Western world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, you can see that with what is happening today. If you're looking at at the war between, you know, Ukraine and, 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 and Russia, I've also had a few discussions with a number of people saying, okay, everything you're reading online is, you know, Russia this, Russia that, Russia that. So without looking at the war, of course, in war, it's the casualties that we're you know, that we're suffering with and we see how much pain that has caused. But you also cannot hide from the fact that everything that you read online sometimes is perhaps pushing a particular agenda, particular propaganda, if I may use that term. And so I've seen that in music, I've seen that in popular culture, that for many of us, the things that we relate to are not things that are Ugandan, but things that we have seen in movies, things that we have read in books, things that we have been told and most times they take away from that authenticity, from that Ugandanness. And so my worry as well was to have all these principles, because these are mostly uh, uh, Eastern principles, you know, uh, principles from Tibet and from, and from India, from Asia mostly. But then drawing a parallel to, you know, uh, religions like uh, Christianity, where has its roots in uh, Israel. But all those still, how do they apply to me, the individual? To me as Kenneth, to you as Mark, to, to you as, a, as, as, a, as a Kenneth, how do you then have these principles? How do you relate them to your day-to-day life where you are here in this Kampala of ours? And so those references really, as I mentioned, were, were, were was a way to show anyone as well that, look, th- these things that I'm writing about are not things that I've come up with just from my head. They're things that have been taught, they're things that have been told, and I use practical examples to be able to allow uh, my readers to be able to appreciate the message that is in the book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say that I appreciate it. I, I enjoyed reading the book. Uh, what the most, for me, impressive thing was, first of all, uh, the patient's text to write a book. Right? Mm. And uh, also, especially, so usually one of the things that, uh, for me, would distract me from writing would be if I've read that. Mm. Like, uh, so one thing I realized, again, the, the reason I brought up the references thing is uh, it's one thing to be aware that someone had a thought like this okay. and my thought is sort of uh the newton thing you know i'm sitting on the shoulders of like uh, the, the giants right my thought is based on that mm. but then it's one thing to to think for me one of the things that struck me is thinking ah this has already been thought mm. so, yeah you know it's not original enough for me to write that, that's sort of uh, that's what i appreciate a lot about the book mm. uh, but uh when it comes to sort of meditation i i used to have a very strong practice i don't i, I mean right now i'm I would say mostly a casual meditator, I mm. do 15 minutes a day. But I used to have a very, very strong practice. I, I read deeply into 
meditation and I, I read a little bit into mysticism and mm. uh, magic and all that stuff so I, I had a very very big uh, a, a certain part of my life especially around 2018-2017 was mm. strongly inside you know mm. sort of trying to figure out the self yeah and so what this, changed? Yeah? well I think I figured it out <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding I think that uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that okay. I, mean, I think this like, conversation is going to go okay uh, my uh, sort of my understanding of why we meditate yes. today is different from at that point. So at that point, even if I tried to, what, what, how I remember, right? I figured out the practice. Okay, no, not figured out. I, I got, I was uh, comfortable with her teacher. So one mm. of the books I read that I think was very inspiring. The, I think the one that introduced me to it was uh, Mindfulness in Plain English by. Uh, Ganatana, the, the, the Indian name, I think. Mm. Ganatana, I think that's, that's the way they pronounce the name. Uh, but then I read the other one, this guy calls himself Tuladasa. I think mm. he's called John Yates, his real name, but his meditation teacher calling himself Tuladasa. It's called uh, mind, uh, no, The Mind Illuminated. The Mind Illuminated, yeah. And uh, so the, 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 the first one, Mindfulness in Plain English, is a wisdom book. Mm. You know, guy tells you why you should not overburden your mind with thoughts, uh, why you should be empathetic. Uh, basically, it's a typical keep mindful, but also it has that meta theme, uh, the, the meta version of, of uh, loving kindness, right? Uh, keep, don't take things so seriously, but also remember to love and to be kind. Mm. Right? So that was the big theme of mindfulness in plain English. And then uh, this book by Chuladasa is mostly about, it's sort of trying to be technical. Right, mm. trying to be I find, right now I find it too simplistic, but mm. at that point it was so convincing. So he tries to he's a neuroscientist and he's trying to map that. You know, mm. how does the mind basically? Uh, how do you uh, improve your mind through meditation? And he's trying to make the argument with some sort of scientism, some pseudoscience. I, right now I look at it like mostly pseudoscience is not real science anymore to me. But uh, he's basically referring to what he knows from neuroscience about how the brain works. And sort of, he's great. He's a very, very strong meditator. Uh, mm. What he knows, what his experience through meditation, and trying to make up that bridge, right? So yeah, that's those are the first two books that strongly inspired me. The third one was uh, by a guy. This I think is still my favorite ish. Uh, by a guy called uh, Ingram, Daniel Ingram. It's mm. called uh, uh, the Teachings of the Buddha, the Hardcore Teachings of the Buddha. Is it uh, something like that? I forget the title now. Yeah. So this guy says. Forget the thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Just as I say, basically, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, think of it as what, as uh, math. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know why two plus two is equal to one, right? Mm-hmm. The technique is when you add one plus one plus one. It this is the rule, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his tactic is just do it. Don't, don't don't try to overthink it. When you're done with your practice, go and philosophize about. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, but when you're doing the practice, don't, don't bother yourself at all with what it all means and whatever. Just start doing it. So I, his uh, strong emphasis was on insight, right? Uh, sort of, uh, mostly I think arising and passing away, sitting, letting it come, letting it go, and staying, trying to stay as present as possible, right? Yeah. And now we come to, to your book, right? So one thing that, uh, and again, this I picked up the first time we talked. The idea of God. Mm. One thing that I got from my experience as a meditator, 
was it drove me slightly further from God. Oh, hmm. Okay, so that's one way to think about it. Uh, one way is it brought me further away from God. That's one way to think about it. One way is it it brought it demystified God so much that I don't uh, I don't see myself any different from God. So it's mm-hmm. not a mysterious thing. It's not something I even have to talk about anymore. It's not a relevant concept to me anymore, right? And uh, I remember when we had that conversation, uh, there is the omnipotence bit about God that I don't like, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, because it's not comprehensible to a human mind, the sort of limitless version, right? And uh, the thing that I want to talk about, one is, okay, I'm going to jump a bit around because of the way I also remember the book, uh, but yeah, I'll do a second reading. So one thing is, let's talk about God and what God means to you in terms of meditation, and then I think we'll start from there. Okay. Um, before, I, before I answer that question, could we try something? Um, could we just breathe, just for a moment? So let's, you're going to breathe in through your nose, Hold it and breathe out through your nose again. Let's do that three times. Breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. Breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. A short exercise like that, you really feel like something is off your chest or something has been lifted. And that really shows you that meditation is one of those tools that shows you that peace is with you everywhere you go. One of my um, inspirations or, or teachers is uh, the late Thich Nhat Hanh, who was a, a Zen Buddhist. And he passed on, actually, at the beginning of the year. And one of the biggest things that he, he taught, and it's even in the title of his book, Peace is uh, in Every Step, is that mindfulness allows you to be able to draw from wherever you are in whatever situation that you are. So with the turmoil you know, of life and, uh, its, and its complexities, it's difficult to live without all these imprints that are, uh, that are occasioned to you, either to you in terms of your physical body, if you fall sick, in terms of your mind, uh, if, you, if you're you know, depressed or going through anything that would then uh, make you feel sad or make you feel low. But the act of breathing, the simple act of breathing, is something that has worked for me, something that has worked for thousands and thousands and, and thousands, if not millions of people. But beyond that as well, just you trying to just breathe in and out. What it does is that it, it allows, it brings you back to the present moment here. And in bringing you back to the present moment, the more that you come back to the present moment, the more that your mind does not move you know, from here or there, from past or present. You're in the present moment. Now, one of the, the deeper messages of meditation, and that, that will allow me then to answer your question about God, is meditation allows you to introspect or to see into the nature of things. So if I breathe in, I am breathing in the fresh air. I'm breathing in oxygen. Now, the more that I inquire into what I'm breathing in, the more that my mind is you know, tickled, the more that my mind is alive, that if I'm breathing in oxygen, okay, so what is the composition of oxygen? Why is oxygen so important to my well-being? Why is oxygen so important to me living and not dropping dead here? And so the more that you breathe in, as I said, is the more that you also start to realize how complex these things are. That beyond the act, the simple act of breathing in, you look at the mechanics of our bodies, the mechanics of our minds, that oxygen needs to travel everywhere in the body. But we have blood, we have red blood cells that allow this oxygen to travel 
every part of the body. And the more that you then look deeper as well into things like the mind, how complicated the mind is, how complex the brain is, how complex the body is, you start to see that surely there is another force at hand, perhaps, that is putting all these things in the way that they are. And beyond that as well now, when you go into physics, you go into biology, you also start to see that the same rules that apply in physics, uh, you know, as above, so below. We, you and I have had uh, many conversations about the fundamental forces, for example. And you start to see that many of these rules as, as well apply to within you. And so, again, you start to see, okay, maybe what, what we call, you know, there, and this is something... I'm not sure what your mind is on this, whether all these things that I've mentioned are random, that the act of breathing in would allow you to be able to, to live. And I am trying to, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to simplify that without looking at exactly what it means to live. And so if you look at every single thing, the way that it works, and, you know, that ebb and flow, and you see how connected, seemingly connected, but also connected, everything is, you start to see that maybe there is a guiding hand that is doing all these things. I will segue to a topic I love a lot, dreams. So I, am, uh, I love dreams because dreams, one, allow you to again question nature and also to question reality as it is. And this is the question that I've asked so many people. How would you know that where we're sitting now that this is not a dream? And if you look deeper into that question, you start to see maybe that your answer will be no, no, but I'm here. I can feel, I can, I can see, I can touch. But if you've tried something they call lucid dreaming, which is the act of waking up in a dream, you understand that you are in a dream and you're awake in, in that particular dream. You start to see that that dream world is, my God, it's exactly like this. And the more that I lucid dream, the more that I am convinced that there is a connection between what I see in my dreams and what is outside or what I call waking life. Now, in one of my last lucid dreams, I, so there are particular rules that you must follow when you're lucid dreaming. In the sense, if you want to continue to lucid dream, you know, one is that go with the flow of the dream. Don't try to change the narrative. And then, of course, even before you, you lucid dream, since I'm talking about lucid dreaming, there are triggers that will allow you or there are signs that will allow you to wake up and see that now I am dreaming. Things like if you look at your hands. You find that you have 10 or 20 fingers instead of the 10 that you have in front of you. You notice other, and so the more that you notice these fingers in within uh, waking life, because this, these are tools that you're supposed to use within waking life, so that when you're asleep, those, what, those messages stored in your subconscious also allow you to notice these things as you're going through your dream. But we can look deep, we can uh, talk deep about that if, uh, if uh, this is something that uh, your listeners would be, would be uh, interested in listening in. But to answer uh, the question, and uh, as I said, I, was, uh, I had segued into this uh, conversation about uh, lucid dreams. So in one of my, I think one of the last lucid dreams that I had, I lucid dreamt. And so I woke up in my dream, and of course the dream was like this, exactly the way you're sitting here and uh, everyone knows that is around. I could smell the air, I could, you know, I could feel myself, and I was there, but I knew that I was asleep in a bed, but here I was awake in a dream. And this is not something that is, you know, mystic or whatever it is. Please feel free to look these things up yeah, yeah, and see, but also try to experience it for yourself. Lucid dreaming is not, there's, there's no science to it. It's just... It's the same way you'd, 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 uh, you'd, uh, you'd uh, have a thought. That's the same way 
lucid dreaming is real to me and is real can can be real to you as well anyway so in this lucid dream somehow i tried to change the narrative i remember i think i was walking through a, a, a hall and there were a number of people there and so someone comes to speak to me and so as they come to speak to me i try to you know push them away and again now that's something that uh, later on after I, after i had awakened i was thinking okay how come in my dreams i have you know i have uh, i am you know trying to push people away is this a reflection perhaps of something that i need to deal with in my waking life but as i tried to do so then the dream changed and so my mind tried to wake me up so before i sleep so like you i'm an ardent meditator i sit every morning uh, before i go to work or before i do anything else the first thing i do is sit and meditate and i realized that the comfortable time for me is 1 hour which is not too long and not too short and so my life in all honesty revolves around that 1 hour that i sit to meditate because it it grounds me allows me to start my day with clarity and with balance and so i also uh, where i stay i i sleep with the windows open and sometimes when it rains uh, you know the water the rain can be able to get in and my meditation chair is right right by the window So sometimes some nights when it rains I will move the meditation chair I'll just move it away from the window slightly and also remove a blanket or throw that I use uh, to be able to warm me uh, whenever I am meditating. So the night before I slept I had put my blanket which is just you know a very small blanket I had also uh, I I drink a lot of water so I had my water bottle I got and all those things and put them on a table on the side. and i had put uh, a towel on top of the chair so just in case you know rain still finds it wherever i have moved it somehow that, that the seat will not get wet and so going back to the dream i woke up from that lucid dream and it was a I woke up violently because i was woken up by by the by that by the dream characters so it was still dark i get out of bed i notice the seat where it is i notice the towel on top of the seat and then I, i i had forgotten where the things where i look they're not there i turn on the table and lo and behold that's where they are so i pick up my blanket i pick up my water bottle so as i'm getting out of the room i notice that my son is getting out of bed as well i'm like hmm okay i left him in bed in his own bed uh so i don't know what what is doing in my bed but i just you know brush it off because I, w- i wanted to go and meditate and i also looked at the watch and it was it was uh 6:30 now before i'd gone to sleep i had saved i had told my subconscious i told myself i need to wake up because i had a meeting at 7:30 and because i meditate for one hour the best time for me to wake up would have been 5 p.m. so i meditate up to 6 and then i can dress up do whatever get out of the house by 6:30 and beat the traffic so that i am at office by 7:30 so yeah i woke up at 6:30 so the only thing that i was thinking about was okay let me just put in meditation time i'm definitely going to be late for my meeting but that's okay and so as i was getting out i t- i trick my son so that he can go to the bathroom so that his mother can be the one to deal with him and then i as i run out i i, I close the door and guess what i wake up now that shocked me that i remember the few days after that i was still thinking okay is this a dream because that particular construct was so real it was the realest dream i had ever had but i still didn't know that i was dreaming And so I started to inquire into that and to think about okay what has just happened. And 
I started to think deeply now that's why I'm saying meditation as well and many of these tools allow you to inquire deeply into a moment and one of the things that I realized is that your subconscious my subconscious in particular stores all this information and so when it woke me up from that dream the fastest thing that it would do was to reconstruct the image of what had happened just right before I went to bed that was I think the fastest thing that, that uh, my mind could do to still keep me asleep but still keep me dreaming and so it constructed this particular scenery and it took all the instructions including instructions that I hadn't you know that I didn't think that my brain was uh was interpreting things like I have to wake up at that particular time because I looked at my watch as I told you and yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the time you know things like exactly where I'd put the cloth and where I'd put uh, my uh, my uh, water bottle so that then got me thinking deeper into the nature of the subconscious the subconscious stores all this information and it stores so many things even things that we don't think it is storing and all this information is then interpreted as dreams and then i also got further thought around that that what if the nightmares we have and all these uh, crazy things that happen in dreams are as a result then of emotions that kind of are the variable to the dream state or world that the, that your brain has constructed and I loved that thought because that then allowed me to understand dreams in an even deeper manner but also allowed me to understand my subconscious in an even deeper manner all these things that it had constructed were things that I had thought about that were there now that then got me thinking about how the subconscious is similar to artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence is machine learning and when you look at machine learning as long as you give it a foundation it's able to you know to do anything you wanted to do either within the confines of what you have coded or if you're looking at general AI even way outside whatever that you have given to it it will learn on its own and the subconscious seems to the way i thought about it it appeared to me to be like ai and stored all this information and the best example i could use are there these twitter bots that are on twitter i think we also had this discussion the last time that i was here where we're talking about how some of them become racist because of the environment that they're in and so that was the same thing the subconscious doesn't know any better it's just picking all this information and interpreting it the best way that it is possible and in that interpretation sometimes things can be crazy because it's speaking from all these things and some things will make sense other things will not make sense it's kind of like as i've said kind of like a computer kind of like artificial intelligence and again going into the complexity of these things that i am talking about it showed me again how can all these things be random how can all these things just have appeared out of nowhere there has to be a guiding hand and the foundations i have i'm a christian and from my christianity of course you learn about god you learn about an, an omnipotent creator and of course the more that we talk about god the more that at least for me the way that i have understood god sometimes we think of god as someone orchestrating some you know playing a puppet master making sure that every single step that you do is is like this we have an element of free will in this world while we're here and again this is something we can talk about later but meditation has allowed me to see that i do not exist randomly that there has to be some someone or something that has created me now the form of that something or someone it's up to you to interpret based on what you believe based on your foundation but ultimately you cannot convince me and i dare you to that everything that you're seeing in this world that the plants the trees again going back to your body that the breath is so random that there's nothing that has that has that has uh, put all these things together and there's an author that I like called Avin Laszlo and in his book I think it's called Re- reconnected to the source this is a scientist and he was writing about how the fine tuning of the universe if things were random 
perhaps would be where we were maybe I think six or seven million years ago. He was saying that if things were random, would not be where we are now. But the fine-tuning of the universe, the way the cosmos operates, the way that the planets are aligned and everything the way that it is shows that there might be a guiding hand. What we don't understand is what this guiding hand looks like. And again, without now going into speculation or going into elsewhere, meditation has allowed me to find, to connect with God. And whenever you pick from all these sources, and this book picks from so many sources, picks from Christianity, from Buddhism, from Hinduism, and when you start to see the connecting thread across all those disciplines, you start to see again that God is present in every religion. God is present in every discipline and in most philosophies. Because ultimately religion is a philosophy and faith is its substance. And so that substance, that faith is what differs across different religions or across different boundaries. But we're all talking about the, you know, God without the construct of religion. And when you then go into things like people that have taken LSD and many of these psychedelics and the experiences that they have, how they then pierce the veil of the universe, so to speak, and go underneath and start to see all these things that seemingly exist in the real world but are not present to us if you do not have those glasses on, you also again start to see how beautiful the world is and these feelings that we have, those feelings of love, those feelings of conviviality with nature, all still point to the fact that there must be a God. I see. It's okay. So, yeah. Uh, what's all that? Now I'm not surprised anymore what the curator. You have uh, the eloquence in, in the way you sort of present what you think. Uh, that, that's... Uh, so two things, right? So first of all, I think I told you this already. Uh, like my full, my real day job is software engineering. Right? Yes. And I've ventured uh, in uh, big data machine learning for for some part of my career as well. And um, I'm, so, okay, let me first ask a question, right? Uh, well, a series of them. Uh, do you believe the aliens, like form of life, mm. apart from? the life that is on earth that i have thought about that mm. and i can i don't i don't know how to answer that without uh you know going deeper into the question one the search for okay all right one the search for aliens or for other life i think is still human nature at work you know the search for belonging and for uh, uh, accompaniment and of course the things that we mentioned as well you know the questions are the way that the earth is formed and the way that it is perhaps there could be other versions of earth or perhaps there could be other galaxies or other places and of course sci-fi makes that even more prevalent with the movies that we watch i love sci-fi and so but as to whether they're aliens or not honestly i don't know and in saying i don't know I am confident in that answer because I truly don't know. Maybe there are people that know, maybe there are people that do not. So I cannot, uh, on one hand, I'll say no because there's no evidence that I have seen that shows that there are other people other than us. But beyond that as well, I also understand that the nature of life is that we think we know these things, but we do not. And this is manifest in many of the things that you know go on in life. Sometimes we think that we know what is going on, but in essence, we don't we are really mostly run by our perceptions. 
And these perceptions allow you to be able to cognize and to be able to see things in a manner that you think perhaps is uh, right, but may not be right. And so I do not know if they're yeah, aliens that, or not. That's, that's valid answer. It's probably mm-hmm. the most one I saw them all. Uh, I, the reason I ask is, and maybe I didn't make a big difference. So, for example, if you take uh, a flower mm-hmm. from, if you take a branch from a tree, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for a period, even I think about even up to two days, uh, it's hard to tell whether it's alive or not, right? Uh, so you can still say plant it on in, in the soil and it will rejuvenate, or attach it to another tree and it will grow something like that, right? But uh, if you say Chester, mm-hmm. the, the puppy that the dog that was there, right? Uh, when it dies, there is a clear transition mm-hmm. of form. Okay, not like visually, maybe they may not be, but there is something that is visible. That you can see that, oh, this thing was the thing that was alive moments back is not the same as this thing lying here, right? Mm. So, you know, the assumption for me is that that is life, right? And it doesn't have to be intelligent per se, right? But the third version, of course, would be life as in human life, for example, you know, or yeah, or even dogs, you know, life that sort of signals to other lives of to other forms of life that. I am first of all alive and I'm available to engage, mm. right? So, sort of like a, one a life, there is a life that is very where the line between life and death is a little bit complex when it comes to some plants. There is life where it's clear uh, this thing was once alive and you know in its state right now it's no longer, it doesn't have that element you could consider to be life. And then there is what? There is life that is intelligent, life that is communicated, right? And so my question was whether you think there's something special about, okay, so maybe I, that was even a bigger question. Do you believe there are other planets in the world? Of course, yes, there are other planets. Do you believe there are solar systems in the world? I do not, ha- I don't know. Okay, I see. Do you believe uh, that uh, this solar system is part of something that is called a galaxy? As far as scientists have told me, that is what I see. I see, I see. And yeah, I yes, see, the evidence seems yeah, to show yeah, that we're in a solar system. And I guess, yeah, I mean, that's obviously valid. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. so from my biases, I, I do believe there are many planets. I do believe uh, because of that, there is nothing special about our planet. And I do believe that, uh, again, following deduct, sort of inductively, following that same logic, that there must be more solar systems. There's nothing special about our solar system. There must be more galaxies, there's nothing special about the galaxy we live in. There must be more uh, sort of things. Basically, the general expansion of things keeps going. That is, again, my, my, my assumption of how life works, right? Okay. And uh, from also my biases, again, mostly mm. based on what I've read scientifically, is uh, the conditions that have provided for life to exist okay. on this specific planet. It's highly likely that they can be replicable. In a place far far away you know if another planet is near another form of energy it's highly likely right mm. yeah but also the question of intelligence and identifying intelligence and identifying life is if say an alien came to uganda for example mm. it's highly unlikely that we will notice mm. that an alien has come to uganda right because again of the nature of how we are biased to understand sort of life, how we are biased to understand intelligence and things like that. For example, yeah, the, the, the branch thing, you know, I know, for example, uh, the Chitoke stem, 
if you're going to plant it somewhere, you can get it from the village, uh, take it on your car, plant, plant it the next day in the soil and the, the matoke will grow, right? Uh, so that form of life is different from uh, Chester. If you cut off Chester's head, you're not getting that Chester back, right? But, okay, maybe science again, you can, the doctors can put it back, I don't know. But yeah, uh, if, if, uh, if Chester is disconnected from his life form, it's not brought back, right? While for plants is possible. So aliens, uh, okay, I assume this is just two variants of a multitude of things that could happen, right? But one thing I know that's special about Earth, say if an alien that is, the way we think, we feel a little bit more intelligent than dogs, right? Where we can look at dogs and observe their patterns and say, oh, if you give this dog meat today and tomorrow uh, with a bell, for example, if you give a dog meat and a bell, when you ring the bell, it will salivate expecting meat. Right? If the, the intelligence we have to the extent that we can identify things like that, if you scale it to a bigger level and say, you know, that bees and being, you know, that is more intelligent than humans, at a level that humans can comprehend, the way dogs can comprehend human beings, yes. uh, then the thing that 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 sort of uh, intelligent being will be able to identify as a pattern about humans okay. is our ability to tell stories. Yeah? And for me, that's the same category I put God, right? Uh, when, you, when you, for example, when you look at, uh, yeah, it's going to sound a bit, I'm black, I can't be racist. This is mm. going to sound racist. Mm. But when you look at sort of the hierarchy of races, right, uh, people's origins from, you know, modern history, right, uh, you find that uh, once upon a time people in Africa were conquered and colonized, I think colonized the right word, you know, sort of their culture was abused and taken away so and replaced by another culture, right? But if you compare the difference between these two cultures, it's the stories they tell each other, right? Mm -hmm. So the white man comes with the Bible and the story of this supreme being, right? And the black man who has never actually been exposed to such a story is convinced. It's a very convincing story, right? Oh, wow. This adds up, you know, this makes sense. I was wondering where do I come from? And this guy has a very clear answer, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so on and so forth, right? So uh, I think the difference between the colonization of Africa and the colonization of Asia is Asia retains all its culture because Asia has a superior story, right? Uh, the Buddha story, you know, the meditation we're talking about right now. When it comes to meditation and saying, oh, you actually, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. Buddha, the, 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 the actual Buddhism, the, the religion, uh, has a concept of reincarnation, right? So you as you, yeah, it's not your first life, basically, right? Uh, it could be your last life if you're Buddha, but chances are extremely high that, you know, once upon a time, maybe you're a dog. So for them, they have an origin story that is grounded, right? So if you bring uh, this creator guy with the white beard in the sky, it's not going to be very convincing because they have a similar story that's more persuasive, right? And so the thing about that unites humans is not just the fact that we're intelligent. I think dogs are intelligent. They sort of can follow a pattern. But what makes humans special is ability to tell stories, right? And uh, most of, actually, yeah, most of my meditation experience was, uh, right, I don't know, I'll, I'll probably share that book with you, actually, if you haven't read it. Uh, Danny Graham's book, uh, Mastering the Cottages of the Buddha. That's actually the title of the book, yeah? Mm. Uh, in Mastering the Cottages of the Buddha, he's emphasizing that the point of you sitting is just sitting the, the same way, right? Mm. The point of you sitting is not to get enlightened, it's not to be alive, it's not to 
uh, gets Panache powers. He's actually one of those meditation teachers who believes in magic and uh, mysticism and all that. It, he says it's not, that's not the point. The point is for you to sit, breathe in, breathe out, and while you're breathing it, rather, rather while you're breathing in, know that I am breathing in, and while you're breathing out, know that I'm breathing out. And his theory, I'll say theory, because I think that's the basis of his classes, is when you just do simply that, at some point it's going to be inevitable for you to know the truths of like whatever this is, right? They want to reveal themselves to you, so you'll know. Uh, first of all, I think his uh, basis of us is like the entry level to getting enlightened. Uh, it, it's uh, you know the fourfold path, the Buddhism mm. fourfold path. Yeah, so it's a cause and effect, right? As long as you get to a point where it's natural to you to know this is because of this and this is because of this, there is cause and there is effect. Then you become the Buddha, right? And then I think the second part or third part, I'm not sure about the path anymore. Again, as I've told you, it's been a while since I did that. But yeah, so the path theoretically, when you get to a place of arising and passing away, where you can now tell that uh, you can sort of know in permanence, it's not a story anymore. Uh, it's uh, when you breathe or when you close your eyes to meditate or when you just leave, you know that you're living when you're standing, you know that you're standing when you, uh, when something is itching, you know that something is itching, you basically, you know. Uh, you know, you know for sure that things arise and they pass away. It's uh, it's also very hard to explain. It needs like people like him have taught for a while to, to explain it. But when you get to that point where you don't tell yourself stories anymore, you sort of understand from. Mm -hmm. I failed to get a word. You just understand things. Right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So when you get to that point, that's when things you're ready now to. Uh, so you're ready for Buddhahood, basically. So again, uh, the story, there's a, the story again, there's a story there about the goal of your meditation, right? And for him, uh, the book is called Mastering the Teachings of the Buddha, is to become like the Indian guy who sat under a tree, right? Yes. Is to become the Buddha where you're fully enlightened and where you're sort of everything and nothing. Well, basically what the Christians call a God. Yeah? Uh, but uh, again, if you... From my perspective, right? If you read, say, the Bhagavad Gita, the yeah, that, that one. When you read that Indian book, right? You come and read the Christian's book. Uh, you read Muhammad's book as well. You, if you start reading these, you start to notice, right? And you read Simon Freud. Mm. Yeah, the, you know that European guy who thought everyone wants to obsess with their mother. Mm. If you read, like, uh, if you read all that stuff, yeah, the one thing you understand is, first of all, most of these guys are almost trying to say the same thing, right? There's that mystery about the mind, what you've called the subconscious. There's that thing about the mind that does not appear to you, the person, okay. right? So I'm sitting here, uh, how can I say, uh, the same way you sort of, you know that the mind knows a lot more than you know it does, right? Uh, for example, you're surprised in your dream that uh, you know, the mind knew that this is the time you woke up or, you know, this is why you left the chair. Things you don't initially keep a list of, you know, yeah, things like that. Uh, and most of what this work is about, most of the mysterious, the mystical work is about is figuring out a formula to, bring, to make that conscious, to sort of make more of what we consider to be the unconscious mind or the subconscious mind more conscious, right? So that's one way, that's sort of a perspective to look at this, right? The other perspective is science. <coughs> uh, get the guy's brain out uh, or put him in, in 
that machine that sort of can pick up on brain signals, look at how the neurons are playing around, and try to do patterns. Say, ah, when the guy smiles, this place lights up. When the guy is sad, this place lights up. Maybe this place is in charge of smiling, or this place is reacting to smiling, basically. Yeah. So draw a map of what happens, what we call the mind, but in terms of electronics, you know, what, how would you represent the mind electronically, right? So that's another version. In this case, you start to realize that the brain never sleeps, right? Uh, right now, you think, so for example, right now I think I'm talking, but what I'm actually doing is talking, is breathing, is digesting, is uh, sort of killing cells, bringing cells. The brain is literally actively doing all that, right? So that, that is the nature of the organic soul, yeah? And I'm also telling stories, right? And the thing about these two versions of these two perspectives is you start to realize even this the technical bit that you think you know can be graphed and put in numbers you can sort of say measure the the brightness of uh, the way the brain sparks when something happens to sort of know the intensity something that you think can be expressed totally in a formal language like mathematics you start to realize that this is also a story right this is also a story uh, when for example physics is probably the most hard science of all sciences, right? Uh, when Newton makes his predictions and writes his formulas, you start to think, oh, this guy has figured out how the world works, right? But when things become more complex, uh, say, you know, at subatomic level, we start to make up numbers. You know, if you look at physics, physics is full of constants. Planck's constant, even Newton has that gravitational constant. You know, it's full of numbers that I just don't explain them anyhow, but they complete the story. So we don't know why our assumptions here don't matter, but if you add Planck's constant, then it adds up. So again, it's just a human invention. We're completing the story that way. And then you just understand, for me, that's how I understand that. The thing that differentiates human beings from all other forms of intelligence is our ability to tell stories, yeah? And the question of aliens that I asked is, if we, are, if we get to a place where uh, we find other forms of life that have a form of communication that's similar to ours, a form of storytelling, you know, where they sort of uh, can mobilize, for example, I, you know, Bobby Wine, you want to uh, take power, you mobilize and tell these stories about things and things and things, and so people feel like, even if I don't know the guy, I feel like, oh, I relate, you know, mm. because the story speaks to me, sort of like I'm a human being, my mind is basically this machine that processes stories, right? And so you feel like, I. I relate. And for me, this is sort of where all of this goes. And I, I mentioned you asking, I think, the question of why did I stop? Uh, at some point, I figured out the story. Like, I think that's for me uh, how I understand this. You know, I sat down, meditated, listened to what people are saying. And the whole, for me, what makes sense to me is even when I don't know that I'm meditating, I am meditating, right? Uh, what say mindfulness, I think there's extreme value in mindfulness. I, I, I love your book, by the way, I recommend it to everyone, but uh, what, 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 I, what I sort of think is important to highlight is there's nothing mysterious about anything, basically, right? Uh, uh, mindfulness, sometimes, even when you don't, so mindfulness is, is like, uh, it's like reading. If you read a lot, you can learn how to read faster, you can learn how to be more comfortable reading. Uh, it says something as mindfulness. If you put it, if you put your mind to it, if you say this is a skill I want to achieve, you can live your life being more mindful, right? But the argument that that is a better state of life than a person whose mind is wandering, 
that is yet to be made, mm. right? Sort of that is not for me very convincing either. And so I think that uh, at some point, the most important story, right? Uh, from, from, okay, from what I've learned from meditation, first of all, is uh, what I would disagree with entirely is the idea of free will that doesn't exist, right? It's just a complex uh, layers of cause and effect, random cause and effect that sort of bring what we, what we, what we consider to be free will, right? Uh, that's where I would, I would disagree. The other place where I think, okay, so most of the stuff I agree with, right? Uh, there is definitely you become happier if you're more mindful. Okay, from my experience, you become happier if you're more mindful, but you become less safe. So in a, in a world where you're surviving, and wait, this is why also most of this culture of meditation, if you look in the West, it's mostly for people who are well off, right? Or people who are in their later life, in their later stages of life, because first of all, if uh, you don't know where you're going to get your lunch, or if you're in the middle of the forest and the lion can eat you, evolutionary your brain is better off, what? Uh, your mind, monkey mind, that is much better off, so you can try to make up, to, to think through all the stories of uh, what what I would be if the lion came, what I would do if, I, you know, what I would do to get food. Your mind think about small things randomly, moving from one thing to another randomly, is more productive in that state than a mind that is settled on one thing, you know, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, because the lion is going to eat you. And it's of course you're good and you don't care about these things. <laughs> but you know, technical as a human being, as an animal, yeah, you need a wandering mind to survive. To thrive. When you're at that point where you know where you're seven, you've hired the whole army to protect you, you know that your life is safe. At that point, your one enemy is what is coming from your mind, right? And at that point there is extreme value, more than mind wandering, because you've hired all these people to wander for you. There is extreme value in sitting down and breathing in and breathing out to sort of get your mind aligned. Yeah. So so again, that's uh, I don't know if all this makes sense, but that is sort of where I am. Yeah. And that's why I asked the question of the aliens, right? And so now I'm going to ask again uh, the third, the third, the, is it the third or the second question. The third, uh, the second one was the planets, right? The third question is the idea of God. Yeah. Do you imagine God as a being beyond humans or as a creation of humans? And you know, sort of how do you see these two perspectives, right? One God as a story I, I made up, either to sleep well at night when you know there's nothing else I can do, or God as an external thing out of me that well, I don't know how to think about that other version, but mm. I think you get the picture. I do. Wow, that's a very packed question. Oh my. Okay. So I wanted just to address a few things yeah, that you yeah, that you that you had mentioned. I think if I was to sum up what you were saying, you were looking at one part being the path of meditation, but uh, meditation in terms of uh, meditation with a spiritual practice. And on the one hand or on the other hand, you're looking at it in terms of science and the answers that it has given and the uh, many questions that it has posed as well. I'll say this. I think, and this is something, now I understand why you said you stopped meditating. The way that our minds are made, all these things that we think about, all these things that we're thinking about, a mind is built in such a way that it will your thoughts will continue to move from one thing to another, one thing to another, and in many instances, until 
there's no end now why are you punishing your mind in that manner by thinking of things that perhaps you know before you go out to search for aliens have we understood why we are why we are have we understood the questions i asked you before going back to the simplicity of the breath going back to um the complexity and 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 simplicity as well of emotions of of, of an emotion like love do you understand what love is you know okay if you are going so going back to what you were saying if you were looking at it from the scientific angle talking about pheromones and all these hormones and everything else but none of those things is conclusive and i think the more that your mind uh, tries to understand these things the more that your mind asks all these questions sometimes you get away from what i would call the truth you see i mentioned this at the beginning that religion is a philosophy and faith is its substance now bring that home especially with what you asked meditation has nothing to do with buddhism meditation has nothing to do with christianity has nothing to do with hinduism has nothing to do with all these things meditation as i mentioned is just the act of paying attention the act of stopping now when you focus on your breath we did that exercise where we focused on the breath in those few seconds that we did that you and i agreed that there was a difference from you know uh, if you were not paying attention to your breath in that manner now if you reduce and I, i use the word reduce on purpose meditation to just focusing on your breath you will one remove all these other aspects you know all these other things that perhaps take you away from something that has the potential to change your life the things i teach about meditation the things i write about meditation are things that i have i have experienced myself and looking at the cause and effect that you were talking about the act of me breathing in and breathing out that paying attention you use the example that if why that uh, meditation is perhaps for the rich or for the old but in every tradition and in every society we have seen the bible talks about in mark 125 how christ uh, retreated to go and meditate when they talk about prayer in most instances they talk about prayer or we talk about prayer in a manner that will allow you first to withdraw so that you're able to concentrate and focus in school and in anything that you do concentration is important to, for you to be able to finish what you're doing and for you to be able to achieve the purpose of what Uh, of uh, of uh, of uh, what you have started now you cannot tell me that that act of concentration is bad you cannot tell me that non concentration is more beneficial than concentration when you sit and meditate and this is something as well that perhaps many people misinterpret meditation is not about stopping your thoughts meditation is about sitting with your thoughts it's about observing your thoughts it's about making peace with yourself making peace with these thoughts and the more that you do that the more that you again question the nature of things and look deeper into things like thoughts the more you start to see that there is an observer looking at these thoughts and this observer can be free of the mental chatter now for you perhaps you have a control or you're comfortable with how far your mind races but many of these diseases that we get today uh, depression um, bipolar all these conditions all relate to how the mind sometimes can be can run away from the person who uh um if if uh if i sat here like with a question that you asked if i was not paying attention 
it would be difficult for me to answer the question that you know the questions yeah. that you have asked so attention is something that i would recommend to anyone and remove anything spiritual from it just the act of paying attention now in my book i say that meditation supplemented by spiritual practice again that's on purpose because we're looking at meditation on its own we're looking at spiritual practice on the other living in societies requires you to be able to in order for you to live comfortably with, with your with your neighbors you have to have rules you have to have uh, codes of conduct ways that will allow you not to uh you know not to live in a manner where it is impossible for you to know that if i go to sleep i'll be able to wake up in the morning without someone slitting my throat or something as as a, as a, as a dark as that and so if you then look at spiritual practice in the manner that would allow you to be able to live a life that is i want to use the word ethical mm-hmm. in a manner that would allow you to see the suffering of others the same way you see the suffering in yourself that gives you that one makes you a better person to be able to communicate with a better person to be able to live with and that's why meditation goes with spiritual practice now there are certain religions or traditions that have made meditation as popular as it is uh, traditions as we mentioned like buddhism yeah. now buddhism teaches about the four you know the the about the path and this is something again I just wanted to highlight to uh, to our listeners of yours at one the path is that suffering exists suffering is caused by our mental formations all these things that we're talking about how your mind will keep going from one thing to another that suffering can be can be stopped by looking into its nature which is that suffering is suffering and number four, that you can continue to stay on the path that will allow you to be able to free yourself of suffering and that path then leads to uh, what uh, the buddhists call the eight eightfold path which is right view right thinking right mindfulness right diligence right concentration uh, right action right speech and right mindfulness these are the the same way the buddhists talk about the noble eightfold path the same way in christianity we will talk about uh, moses and the 10 commandments do not kill do not uh, commit adultery do not uh, um, do not steal all these are again there are rules and tools to allow human beings to be able to live properly in societies where we able to cooperate rather than tear each other apart and so again going back on all those things that you have mentioned if i reduce them the reason why we are here sitting talking and i can answer your questions because i understand what you're saying mm-hmm. we have the gift of language now again going back to what causes us to speak in the manner that we speak what causes us to interpret the information that you give to me in the manner that i have interpreted it those are things that even though science tries to explain many of these things you you end up having more questions than answers i tell you that the reason why mindfulness or meditation is so powerful it allows you to stay in the present moment staying in the present moment allows you to enjoy what you're seeing here you say there's nothing special about this galaxy among uh, the things that you have mentioned but kenneth if you if if there's nothing special about this uh, galaxy then why are you still alive now all those questions perhaps if you now thought deeper into where all those feelings come from you start to see that perhaps 
you connecting meditation to mysticism, connecting meditation to all these other religions is what takes you away from the simplicity of meditation. It's also what takes you away from the simplicity of questions such as how have I come to be? How have my thoughts come to be? How does everything that exists come to be? And how can it not be if it were not for a guiding hand? You mentioned, you gave the example of, uh, you know, of, uh, of a dog. Again, sometimes I think as human beings, our perceptions and our senses confuse us and sometimes can take us away from the truth. We think that what we see or that everything stops and starts with the mind. We think that just because we can see things, that what we're seeing is exactly what it is. But all those things, we're seeing them based on our designation. And we're all seeing them because we all have the same eyes. In a sense that our eyes operate with the same science, with the same biology, with the same things. Now, outside of that, that's why when, I asked, when you asked me that question about aliens, I said, I do not know. Because the same way I do not know for a fact that dogs are not, that dogs do not perceive the world perhaps in a manner that would uh, make them more, would make them enjoy this world more. I can only focus on me, I can only focus on my feelings, I can only focus on my emotions, I can only focus on my breath. And in doing so, again, I simplify my life. Meditation is something that has the potential it's a tool that has the potential to change your life. And these are things we write about, but things that I have experienced. And many people have experienced that as well. And I've given you the exercise. When you just breathe in and out, in those few seconds, does that feel better than when you're stressed or angry and inundated by all these thoughts? I'd think that's a much better life and all that. But beyond that as well, meditation gives you the tools that in the midst of storms, that when Christ was on that boat, and the, all, the, all, the, all the disciples were worried about the storm. Christ was calm. That, that particular scripture or piece of scripture teaches me that meditation does not exist just in sitting by yourself. Meditation should be something that you take into your day-to-day -day life. That with all the storms of life, you should be able to calm down and breathe and be able to accept things as they are. And in that manner, you're able to live a life that is free of all this worry, that is free of all this, all this delusion. And that doesn't mean I say that because I meditate or because meditation exists, that you're not affected by all these things that happen. No, far from it. Meditation, as I've said, is a tool that allows you to exist and to be happy in spite of or despite all those different things that would seek to make you sad, that would seek to kill you. Yeah, so, so first of all, uh, I agree a lot with, with what you said, right? And, and I think for me, the, where, where I, I throw the sort of different line is uh, a moment of survival versus a moment of thriving, right? Uh, breathing, the exercise we did before, that is great. I, I try to do that many times whenever I remember, right? Uh, but when someone points a gun to my head, yeah, that is not an effective exercise in any way. Yeah? In fact, my chances of survival are higher if I let my mind what? Wander in panic. Right? If I let... Okay, so there's, a, there's okay. I think there are things that they confuse. There's a stoic thing of uh, looking calm. Right? So if I can pull off that stoic thing of uh, looking calm, because the mind, again, you can't control it, right? Yeah, and let the mind panic the way it wants, instead of 
you know, forcing it to pay attention to one specific thing or, or you know, so sort of okay. So this is again maybe less also of us reconcile how we understand meditation, right? So meditation for me understand it in three things, right? You're cultivating three things basically. Concentration, which is which is something we emphasize a lot, uh, but also wisdom, right? And uh, wisdom, most traditions call it insight, right? Uh, the ability to know, not just to concentrate, but to know. So uh, I know for sure that when you do the deep concentration, when you go into those deep channels, when you do that deep concentration exercise, it sort of feels like, uh, okay, for me, I compare it to weed. When I used to smoke weed, it used mm -hmm. to feel like that. It sort of gives you that height, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but then there is the, 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 the inside part, yeah, that, that's a little bit more challenging, but it keeps you alert. It's sort of, you, you know for sure, you're not buzzing in any way. It's not, it's not cloudy in any way when, when, you're, when you're doing insight. Uh, so most of the, I think the tradition is by Sayadai, I think, uh, the one of labeling. Uh, so it's uh, basically try to label, basically focus your mind on labeling things that come to your mind. Yeah, And uh, in a way, you start to, I think, naturally to just draw patterns or whatever. Okay, I don't know how it works, but uh, it's a practice that I've done and it helps me, first of all, uh, focus a little bit more. But it also, it's, it, it sort of, you learn a little bit, you know, the, the meditation exercise also is a learning experience for you, right? And there are those two, right? Uh, and the third is morality, you know, uh, mostly, I think, the, the part, the eightfold path, you know, act right, basically, right? The, that's the, the third part of, of meditation. That's how I, sort of how I, I was taught this, right? Uh, but I'm thinking of, like, so that today, uh, if say for example, to every Sunday I play football, right? Uh, on the pitch we play about maybe 11 a side, yeah? On average of 11 a side, say maybe 22 people. Sometimes less, sometimes more. Uh, on the, among these 22 people, about say six of these people, say three from each side, don't know whether they'll get a meal after that match. They just don't know that for sure, right? Uh, and ab above, ab about on those, uh, on those, okay, say, so, yeah, okay, uh, maybe eight of those, of, of the 22 people, yeah, so six, six among those eight don't know whether they'll get a meal, but the other two know they can afford a meal, but they'll prefer to use that money either to buy drugs or to buy alcohol, right? So it's their priority is not what I'll consider to be a priority, right? Yeah, so they want to worry about whether they'll eat only if uh, they are sort of, they've had some uh, either weed or something harder in them or some alcohol, right? So for these people, yeah, they have a clear idea of a state of mind that will make them happy, right? It's not confusing at all, yeah? So for me right now, I, I'm sort of, my lunch, supper, and breakfast is sorted. In fact, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm even trying to stay away from the food, right? Uh, right now, I don't know what immediately will keep me, will make me happier, right? So the argument that if I sit down and just try to listen to my mind, right? Uh, let my mind tell me this and this and this and let things come and let things go. That concept, I see how it can make me happy because I don't yet have a clear idea of what exactly happiness means to me right but the guy who needs to eat needs his mind to be thinking about how many ways food can come to his table 
Uh, actually, may we may we try to unpack that uh, yeah. before we even uh, move forward? Uh, you keep saying that when there's a situation that happens, you need to first sit. I I don't know why, because meditation does not mean that yeah, in any situation you first sit, you first tell people, ah, first life first stop. Yeah. It's now time for my mind to first think about what to do in the midst of, as you said, someone pointing a gun to your head. In all those scenarios that you have mentioned, if someone is pointing a gun to your head and you're thinking about food and you're thinking about debts, will that help you in that moment? Is that what you're saying, Kenneth? I'm saying in that moment, you want your mind to go as much as you want. So again, okay. my assumption here is uh, you don't have, and I, I think we have done this, right? You don't have much control on what your mind is going to think about, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you can consciously attempt to, most of concentration meditation is like that. You can consciously attempt to point your mind to something. Yeah. So uh, I think the basic class of mindfulness, okay, the one I learned again, and I know you're a teacher of this, but the one I learned is uh, just mindfulness basically is remember when you're not paying attention, right? So say, for example, you're supposed to pay attention to the sensations of the breath of the nostrils, right? Uh, at some point, the mind is going to go away because you know, the mind doesn't care about what you want. Uh, the idea of mindfulness is to remember, you know, just know that, oh, I was supposed to, when you catch yourself not listening to those nostrils, those, those sensations, you're like, oh, I was supposed to do this, right? And I think part of what they, uh, so there's a concept in machine learning called reinforcement learning. Yeah, where you sort of reward the machine for mm. doing the right thing. Uh, and so the, 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 the way I was also taught is, at that point when you catch yourself, instead of being sad, which is the natural way to be like, oh shit, I'm a terrible meditator, it's be happy, reward your mind for remembering. And the idea, I think, is that to encourage your mind to remember more, you know, sort of like the concept of reinforcement learning. Uh, actually, may I reward my mind by because I just remembered somewhere in between where you spoke about the football team and someone not yeah, eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May I try and, and yeah, answer yeah, that yeah, first? Okay. So, if I don't have anything to eat, how will it help me to worry or to overthink about me not having something to eat? It helps me to think about how to get something to eat. Not to worry about the fact that I don't have something to eat. And I think that's where we need to, we need to have clarity over that. I see. I see. So, yeah, okay. In a scenario, uh, in a scenario, uh, and so let me tell you this, as, uh, as from my work, right? Maybe this is actually more relatable to me than feeding. Uh, sometimes there is a bug in the machine, right? So building software for people. There is a meeting uh, in two days' time, and there's somewhere memory is leaking. So, you know, every time I run my program, the computer runs out of RAM, right? And it doesn't make any sense. So the computer is not doing any heavy work. It's not reading big files or whatever. But you just don't know why the computer is running out of RAM, right? You sit down on your, on your computer, you read all the code that gets ex- executed. You can't figure it out, right? The clear path of how do I get something to eat, those you've exhausted. As a developer, you have a list of things you check. Uh, let me check this, let me check this, let me check this. Uh, you know you can't add more RAM because uh, the guy who pays for the RAM thinks that's more than enough RAM that you should need, right? And at that point, if you're going to make sure that the people who are going to use the software are in a specific, uh, say, high-profile thing, where you know your reputation and your software's reputation is at stake, you have nothing to, to worry, right? It's, uh, you cannot obviously be 
you can try to do that. And I've tried this again. I think of myself, I used to think of myself as a very, very strong meditator. Right now, I would say I'm out of practice, not so much. But even then, when there's a genuine reason to worry, you worry. Of course. Yeah. Look, and, uh, and uh, even 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 before you finish that uh, line of thought, meditation does not make you a robot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Where you lose feeling, where you lose sensation, you still worry. Yeah. But the question I asked, and this is where meditation helps, with the fixation on worrying. And that's where I'm saying that fixation on something never made it better. The Bible talks about how uh, if, 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 the, if the buds of the air you know, are able to uh, to go about their lives freely, then uh, ultimately, what will it help you to worry? Will it add more years onto your life? Worrying, what it does is it takes away from your life instead. And that doesn't mean that you, in me saying that, that I will never worry. My issue is the fixation on worrying. When you fixate on a particular emotion, let's say sadness, if you fixate on sadness, chances are you will stay in that state because the brain is doing everything possible to do what you want, which is that I want to be sad. I want to worry. But if you look at worrying as just worry in the sense that uh, I don't have something to eat, I'm worried I don't have something to eat. Then focus your mind then on thinking, how do I get something to eat? You're packing so many things into... Uh, okay, just interrupt me. Sorry, for me, yeah. the thing yeah. is, so I, I, I'll it, just it keep becomes, talking. If it, yeah, 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 because it's there, okay, it's okay. Be, like, there's a, there were many, yeah. many things we could have uh, spoken about, which are good things like the free will. Yeah, we are, no, we definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm, so, everything, I'm going to bring it back. Right. I, I just wanted us to first... Uh, okay. Uh, okay, so first of all, I wanted to first reconcile mm. what I understand meditation to be. Okay. That is uh, sort of, I think it's important so we talk about the same thing. Uh, the other thing, I wanted to uh, first of all express mm. what I think is the important uh, advantages and why it's exaggerated, right? That's one thing, that's the second thing. And part of what I wanted to do, I haven't hit on this yet, but I also wanted to talk about mental illness as part mm. of uh, the uh, sort of, because you hinted on that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, if I could go back to that uh, exaggeration, Ken, eh? If you, the narrative, for example, has been that in the past, and this is something you alluded to earlier, let's say, if I make a generalized statement and say that all black people are dumb, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or I say that all human beings have the propensity to be stupid. Now, those are two very powerful statements, two very separate statements. But ultimately, the problem with generalization yeah, is yeah. that you do not factor in the, yeah, you know, uh, the reality I of things. Now, meditation has very, very many forms. Meditation, think of meditation like sport. Yeah. You can play tennis, you can play cricket, you can play uh, badminton, you can play rugby, you can play American football. Many of those will, be, will, be, will have a variable, which is, let's say, you're playing with a ball. Others uh, will have another uh, another similarity or something that will basically be uh, where the sport will be formed around that particular object. Now, meditation works like that. The meditation that I am teaching, the mm-hmm. meditation that I 
has changed my life is mindfulness meditation which mm. is the act of just paying attention mm. in all those examples that we're speaking about earlier my answer will still be that i will stand a higher chance of either surviving a dangerous situation or of being happier if i'm paying attention to what's happening okay. if i'm paying attention to someone who is threatening my life chances are i'll be able perhaps to see their body movements that allow me to be able to make calculated decisions should i move should i stop maybe if i'm paying attention i'll see that the gun that is holding to me is a is a dummy mm. or is a prop but how will i do that if my mind is thinking and not g- giving me an opportunity to be able to focus and pay attention if we That's if true. you go into brain wave states the reason why we have different brain wave states states which uh which a brain or human being uh possesses simultaneously rather than just one you know one first and then this or the other is to prove exactly what i have just mentioned you have the better state which allows you to concentrate because that's that state that's the most awake and then you have the alpha state which is lower than the beta state and allows you to concentrate even further and then you have theta which is deep sleep sorry which is uh, sleep or meditation and then you have delta which is the deepest state and that's the state when you're deeply deeply sti- uh, sleeping these brain wave states confirm that things are at an optimum level in one of those states it's difficult for you to have the same concentration or attention that you would have in the alpha state than if you were in the delta state in the delta state most likely you'll be sleeping or you'll be totally detached from this world and so the fact that you have all these brainwave states operating simultaneously confirms to me that if you look at meditation in the light that one you stopping stopping does not mean first stopping you know stopping and then you as i said before you let everyone fall into line no it's the act of stopping your thoughts but not stopping your thoughts as well actually i should retract that because whenever we talk about stopping yeah. thoughts it you know it uh, we lose we lose the effect of what meditation does the act of stopping means that i one just try to align we all need to even in life you know you stop in this podcast we had to correct the mic at a certain point if you continue with the mic the way that it was chances are that although we shall speak all this will be for nothing because ultimately the end result is that it's not tuned in a manner that would be listened to by the people who want to listen to it so that allows you now in this same practice the things that here sitting here with you we've had to stop and say okay can we move the mic here can we do this why do we do that yeah to improve okay so i see i see i see, I see. okay so so um one thing right that uh what one thing that real you know whenever you're awake you're paying attention right uh it's just that again how i understand meditation and you're right you know there are multiple multiple versions right but uh i think the the sort of the version that i'm talking to is the version you teach right mindfulness, mindfulness meditation yes uh how i understand mindfulness actually so the the way i have been taught is mindfulness just a skill you need to meditate basically right uh so cultivating it obviously has multiple multiple values but it's a skill you need to meditate and as i mentioned meditation is 
for me, the way I learned it is you have to be cultivating wisdom as well, you have to be cultivating concentration, and you have to be cultivating morality as well, mm. right? Uh, but when you awake, when you wake up, yeah, it's just a natural thing for your brain to do, to pay attention, right? Uh, it's just that people who meditate, uh, so okay, so attention also is a very funny, peculiar thing, right? Uh, think of you paying attention to, to your teacher, right? The teacher teaching. You paying attention to the teacher as one thing, right? But think of you paying attention, you paying attention to your teacher as another thing. Yeah, I'm going to call that awareness. So that's yeah. sort of the lingo, right? Knowing in a, at a certain point that yeah. I am now talking, right? Compared to talking. So actually, action is a different thing. So the, the thing that requires active work, usually, uh, you it's uh, being aware that you're doing it can distract you, right? But most of the passive things, yeah, like breathing. So you don't breathe usually. Breathing just happens to you, right? So like breathing, uh, being aware that you're breathing sort of relaxes you a little bit more because it's mostly a passive thing. You know, you can. It's very hard for you to choose. You can intentionally choose not to breathe, but most of the times when you're paying attention to other things, breathing will happen, right? Uh, and so what I think, what, what I'm considering meditation in this case to be is the cultivation also of that thing, of that knowingness, right? I think you hinted on the observing bit, but that has to go there when, when we are ready, when we are on the same page, right? Uh, so he, knowing that moment of, uh, cultivating the moment of, uh, I know what I'm doing at the moment, right? Uh, so that's what I consider to be mindfulness. And I think, let me know if you disagree with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness is being aware yeah. of everything that's around you. Exactly. But being aware does not, you also don't overthink being aware. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's what, that, so, exactly. So being aware would mean in this case that uh, I'm thinking about food. I know that I'm thinking about food, right? That's it. Exactly. Because at some point you'll be thinking about food and you salivate because you're not just aware that. Mm. Yeah. So in this case, a mindful person would be the person who's thinking about food, who yes. knows that they're thinking about food, right? Yes. Okay. So, yeah. And my, my example with surviving versus driving is, first of all, even for the Buddha, uh, the brain has to obey rules of physics, right? And energy is not infinite. So the brain has a limited amount of energy it can use. Okay, so I'm also making the assumption that you believe that the brain is the main actor when it comes to the mind. To the mind? Yeah. Yes, to the mind. Yeah, yes, yes, the mind, yeah. Okay, okay. And I like how you said main actor. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. means there are other actors. True, 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 true. So, so, okay, and the reason I'm saying that is your brain, right, still has to, has a limited amount of resources. You know, you have a limited amount of glucose. The processes that uh, sort of process this glucose to bring it to the brain also have a limited amount of like ways they can do it. It can't be infinite, you know, it can't be instant. A person who has an immediate problem, the brain cannot just magically know, know everything, right? There's sort of some limitations to it, right? And what the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is a person who, say, for example, uh, is, a, is on a gunshot, right? This person clearly knows that my highest priority is to live in the next moment, right? That is known. Yeah, that's sort of, I think, an instinct. A baby 
will know when the life is threatened, right? A person who knows that does not need to intentionally dedicate resources, mental resources, to being aware of himself, thinking about how he can survive. You understand? So, Mahai uh, Shing Sahai, I don't know if that's the right word, the guy of flow. Mm. Yeah, basically, that, I think that's his, his point. This is what flow is. Flow is the musician, does not have to be aware of himself playing music. He becomes one with the music. It just happens at that point. You know, it's not the musician playing music, it's music playing. And the musician is part of the instrument. Uh, actually, I, I would, I would, I would uh, want us to, uh, to talk about, about that. Does a musician become good just by sitting and playing? No, no, no. That's okay. So that's those are two things, yeah. And, and exactly, that's okay. a good point, yeah. So in order for you to be a good yeah. musician, you must practice. Yeah. And before you become one with the music, you must first go through particular steps. If you have, in all the scenarios that you have given, if I am running away from a lion, it's the same examples that you have given. Who stands a higher chance? Someone who has been exercising and who is fit, or someone who just woke up and decided, you know, like just I'll just walk into this park and uh, across this this line. Yeah. Okay. I can go on and on with all these examples. What meditation allows you to do, and when when they talk about paying attention, the paying attention at a certain point becomes you. There is no difference. That's the non-duality that I was telling you about. You are your thoughts. Your thoughts are you. In that moment, in if I was speaking to those particular scenarios, meditation would allow you, one, not to focus on other things, but to concentrate on where you are. Now, that doesn't mean that you, your mind at that moment would be, okay, I am, I am thinking, uh, I am thinking of, I am thinking and I am thinking, I'm seeing myself thinking of me attacking this person or me running away. No, that in my mind is a misunderstanding of what meditation does, of what mindfulness is. The effect, it is the cause and effect that the more you practice, the more you practice focusing on your breath, the more you practice watching your thoughts, the more that you become in tune or attuned to your body and you balance yourself. Now, balancing yourself, living in that flow state, allows you to react faster to situations. So the effect is that meditation, in essence, will perhaps help you to survive better than anything else. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, so I agree. Yeah, and maybe yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'll concede this one. So, yeah, meditation as a practice, right, over a long time, obviously will make you a better person. Right? Yes, it's habits. Yeah. You see, w- from when you are a child, your brain, as I told you, your subconscious is picking up all these things, mm-hmm. right? All this chatter. I gave you that, that example before about how I, I likened the subconscious to artificial intelligence. Now, in real scenarios, you need to be calm. You need to be sharp in the sense that your brain needs to be able to work in a manner that would allow you to survive situations that would ordinarily kill you. And that practice and that practice forms a habit. That habit, in turn, the fruits of meditation are the ones, as I mentioned, that you, you're calmer, you're able to respond to situations differently. It allows you to be able to have clarity. Now, building that habit 
it requires you to train the same way you train if you're exercising the same way you train if you are you know in in order for you to become uh, a good scientist to become a good teacher to become a good lawyer a good doctor all those require you to practice and practice it's no different from meditation it is no yeah, different no, uh, so first of all yeah I, uh, as i said i think that there is I, i can't like counter that so first of all maybe i misunderstood or maybe we separated these two conversations uh when i was attacking was meditation or sort of that mindfulness thing as a quick mental fix right so for example the breath thing we did right? actually actually let us let us look at that mm-hmm. you're saying and this is our answer and say yes meditation or focusing on the breath can be a quick mental fix that in the midst of you being angry if you just took a moment to breathe in that very moment i'm talking about those seconds when you're breathing forget about the minutes or the hours that go after mm-hmm. the truth is you are realigning your body you're recalibrating your senses and perhaps that would then stop you from doing something that you'd regret yeah. like punching someone in the face so what meditation allows you to do is to learn the art of just being in flow state that's the effect as i mentioned yeah okay so uh, okay two things right when you're angry yeah and uh you only have the mass of your actions right so it's sort of like you're, you're privileged in a case that you have to choose whether to punch someone or not it helps to be mindful so you can choose right right but when you're angry and if you don't punch the other guy the guy is going to punch you it helps that you don't dedicate any mental resources to being mindful but rather to do the first instinct that comes and again by you saying dedicating mental resources to being mindful that is looking at it with a wrong view no, no, no. Me, me, if me, i was me, in that situation me, first of all yeah. if someone was trying to punch me chances are i would in understanding who and where i am and understanding that you know the, the reasons why this person is trying to punch me I would then want to use the other aspects of my practice which is morality and concentrated and and wisdom to understand that if this guy is much much bigger than me if I try to punch back what will happen but beyond that as well if I also understand that this person is lost that this person has given in to their anger perhaps then punching me would be a release and that's a totally different discussion as regards to how you'd handle situations hmm. the conversation of I'm Kenneth I've been practicing for a long time and most of this is now a natural cause my sort of the way I live is now a natural consequence of my practice that I believe that that I, I that is the yeah I I think people who meditate if they do it right they are generally going to become better people right what I don't believe is the mindfulness tricks as a quick fix sort of like in the scenario you mentioned right have you tried them Okay. For how long have you tried uh, I, I, mindfulness? Yeah. I I consider myself I used to consider okay now I don't because I've taken a while but I used to consider myself adept. Okay. Adept. I've been in depths when I when it comes to meditation that very few people even write about, right? Hmm. But my point is this. My point is in a situation of privilege where you know my day i have a few moments to spare to practice for meditation for a goal that i don't see yet you know for no just for myself for no for no immediate goal uh, the only time meditation is helpful where i say for example 
I, I wake up like for myself, I dedicate 15 minutes every day, right? But for you, for example, you have an hour to dedicate. Yeah, there are, there are people who don't have that time to dedicate, right? Uh, so in, in that scenario where I actively cultivate this, right? I, I know that there's a certain value that I'm cultivating. First of all, I also know I, I can testify to the value of meditation. So that's an incentive. But for a new meditator, and that's why this man, I tried to get him to meditate, but he has never meditated. The thing is incentive, right? First of all, he has never seen the incentive. He doesn't see anything that has changed in my life because I meditate, because most of it is internal, right? He doesn't uh, see that. Uh, okay, so most of it is internal, but most of most of the things for me, I can I, I sort of consider to be values of meditation. He probably thinks I would have gotten away, right? Do you, do you see do you see oxygen here? No, 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 I don't. Okay. But we agree that there is oxygen here. Yes. Is this oxygen beneficial to you? It is, yes. So the fact that you don't see it, does it mean that it's not beneficial? No, it, it does because I don't have a choice. I can't sit here and say I don't have a breathe. Now the reason it's up to me. Hmm. I think I'll be now the reason why we teach as well, and that's why learning is important. Learning allows you, one, to remove uh, ignorance in the sense that you remove what you did not know and you're taught... Uh, something that perhaps in this instance would change your life now Can you let me let me just get him so I can no. you get him tell him to drop the, the stuff to my watch okay. to regard eh? yeah sorry about that that's yeah. okay so ultimately whoever makes a decision not to meditate because they're not seeing the immediate results why are you impatient but even beyond that, I'm telling you that scientifically, the act of breathing for five minutes, five, one, two, three, four, five, allows your body to receive more oxygen. And oxygen is good for your body. It's good for your blood, even without looking at the five minutes. The fact that you're intentional about breathing in, other than what it does for your mind, let's think about the body itself. Those are benefits. Now, maybe those benefits are not one that you, you, you're interested in. But as I've said, your mind has all these things that it has been fed, and it then takes away from understanding that one, just because I don't see something, does not mean that it's not benefiting me. But I'm telling you as well that for me who has experienced meditation and who is meditating, I have seen the results one short term, medium term, and I will continue to see them long term. And if you had continued meditating from the time that you mentioned, perhaps your experience or perhaps this discussion would be different. Because then you'd see that that consistency in meditation, just like a habit. You mentioned a pitch that means maybe you're interested in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a sport. If you look at football, footballer will become as great as they are because they practice, because they train. Not for one month, not for two months, but they'll keep. The, the more they do it, the better they become at it. That's the same way with this. And when I say becoming better at meditation, it's understanding and using those same tools from the couch. This is something I write about. Meditation is not about sitting on, on a couch and breathing. It goes beyond that. Sitting on a couch allows you to be able to focus. It allows you to be able to then, as I said, look into the nature of things at a time where you don't have distractions. But mindfulness meditation is in your waking life. It goes into your relationships. It goes into your business. It goes into your family life. You can use those tools everywhere. Let's go to relationships, for example. If I was more mindful in my relationship, if I knew that if I did this, I was going to hurt you, 
another person who then goes in with mindlessly doing things without understanding how they'll affect the other person who do you think will have a a, a healthier relationship yeah i agree the guy who mind who's my fault but so two things right uh, you talked about ignorance yeah which i think is what i was getting to right uh given the privilege mm. to to be convinced of the values of meditation i would then be willing to dedicate this amount of time right but the reason many people the majority of uganda say for example don't have a meditation practice right is because no one has bothered to give them what the sort of lay for them this argument i can obviously we are talking about your book so mm. i appreciate that you dedicated time to writing this book yeah but what i'm saying is what, what sort of what where we are disagreeing was when uh instead of making that clear right uh no so for, for you've done that right in your book right but i'm saying for most people who pedo this mindfulness thing uh instead of making it clear that uh you know you can have luck you know the one day you take you do breathing exercises it will come you down and you'll pass the interview that can happen but that is not a guarantee in fact with mindfulness the more you expect the more you get distracted from actually minding right uh when you make that clear that instead of trying to use mindfulness to score this interview meditate meditate as a practice it is going to give your life so it's a very hard thing to say because there is no day. so you, you mentioned soccer i learned say for example i play i would play soccer every day and get better because soccer has clear goals mm. i go in with my team and we win we score more goals or we defend more goals right and it's clear when we left the pitch where we are missing you know do we need a midfielder we need a defender do we need a goalkeeper do we need someone to score more goals do we need a striker right that is very very clear when we go we know how to improve meditation on the other hand is vague right so uh, it's all about balance meditation the, the thing about it is if you go again extreme the thing i was telling if you concentrate too much it's also going to become counterproductive you're going to just become a little bit high and buzzy mm. right so the mm. so the, the thing is you know uh how do you sell that balance tell someone sit but don't oversit uh concentrate but no when to what basically you know like most of the because most of this again is very internal it's very hard to find a good teacher that's why there are things like pebbling that uh the thing i was telling you for mahasi yeah i think mahasi said that that's uh, the, the practice of what of of, of like uh pebbling so there is there is that right that uh all teachers come up with tricks to trick you basically to calmly focusing mm. right not to intensely focus not to you know sort of write meditation by coming up with tricks like that uh listen to the breath for example that's also not like a, a real meditation thing it's just a trick to teach out focus basically how do you package meditation without coding people without promising quick fixes right how do you package this as a lifelong experience and, and as i told you i'm not an in, because when i when i was doing that super depth meditation my goal was to mm. you know get superpowers mental superpowers because again this is what i was sold you know mm. this is what i was sold i was told you come and sit figure out your mind when you figure out your mind you figure out the mind basically mm. you know what the mind is you become a buddha and you you don't suffer you know they you've mentioned the what the fourfold path is it the fourfold path the yeah basically the, the path of uh, the suffering you know suffering at the end of the fourth one is the end of suffering right and that is ideally what i thought right mm-hmm. well what i was supposed to be preached what i think that would have made better sense and if i was to write same book similar 
uh, I would emphasize that suffering doesn't end. I would disagree with the Buddha at all. But you, how you relate to suffering, that changes innumerably. When you, when you meditate, most of what uh, scientifically called neurotics, you know, the, the neurosis you have, the, the, those small, small things that would get you uncomfortable because of specific things that make you suffer, mm. that, would specific, that would entirely change to a point that you, you don't sit there worrying that you're going to suffer because, you know, suffering is just another form of experience. Oh, hold on on that. The Buddhism teaches four truths. Yeah. One yeah. is that suffering exists. So let's try and unpack those. Yeah. Is it true suffering exists? It does, yes. Okay. Number two is that suffering in most instances or suffering is caused by particular uh, things. One of those things is suffering can be caused by your mind. Mm-hmm. How you interpret a situation. What I mentioned if you're sick, does it help for you to fix that on the fact that you're sick? Or to ac- accept that I am sick and focus on getting better? If I don't have a job, does it help for me to stay in bed, sit somewhere, focusing on the fact that I don't have a job? Or that I should get off my bed, get off my feet and try to go look for a job or try to look for work? So suffering, according to Buddhism, is caused by mental formations, but also caused by things that are one in our control and things that are outside of our control. But the understanding that things are out of your control, that alone, the answer is there. It's out of your control. Does it help you to worry for something that's out of your control? I'd say I'd live a much better life if I accepted that things are outside of my control. The fact that I can get into my car after this interview and get hit by someone. I can only control the fact that I will drive properly and I'll try to concentrate when I'm driving. But those are outside of your control. The third is that suffering can stop. And the stopping suffering is what I just explained before. Understanding that if I stop fixating on the things that continue to cause me suffering, I will have a lot more, not even joy, but I'll have a lot more calmness or a lot more peace. If I understand that because I have no food completely, I should not focus on my hunger. Rather, I should focus on trying to get something to eat so that I can cure my hunger. That will allow me to live a happier life. I see. Okay. Let now, me, let me I'm, there's, there's still um, one more. Now, all those, now, that then goes to, so the third one is removing the causes of suffering. It's like removing a thorn. If I step on a, on a thorn when I'm walking somewhere, it's going to hurt like hell. But when you understand that if you remove the thorn, I will then get relief from that. Wouldn't you want to remove the thorn? Or would you want to continue walking around and try to put plasters all around your thorn? As an example that uh, Martin Singer gives in his book, The Untethered Soul, which is a book that I would really recommend. It's called The Untethered Soul. The Untethered Soul. It talks about how if you're walking and you step on a thorn, and instead of trying to remove that thorn, you do everything possible to try and make yourself comfortable with the thorn. The fact is, it not matter how comfortable you take, how many painkillers you take, how many numbness uh, drugs you take, or even sitting up elevated, the fact that you still have a thorn in your foot. Now, meditation allows you to see that thorn for what it is, that it's a thorn. That those thoughts that you're calling thoughts, can, you can make peace and friends with those thoughts, where those thoughts do not lead you to depression, do not lead you to sadness. 
Now, the fourth is the cessation of suffering, which is by following the path. And that path I told you. By following a path means that you understand that suffering in its nature is something that is continuous. As long as you're living in this world, suffering will not, will not stop. Not as far as we have seen it. But you can have peace in that suffering. And that's what they mean when they talk about enlightenment. Enlightenment is not something that you should aspire to. Mm -hmm. Enlightenment is something that you receive when you understand the nature of things. That pain exists. I am of the nature to hurt. I'm of, of the nature to fall sick. I'm of the nature to grow old. I'm of the nature to get angry. I'm of the nature to, uh, to you know, lose my cool. All these things you're of the nature of. And when you understand them, truly understand them, they lose the power they will have over you. And in that understanding, you cease suffering. You gain or achieve enlightenment. Enlightenment is that peace that you get when you are just in the moment without worrying about this or that. Now, that, as I've said, that path, are the th that's why I'm saying meditation has to be supplemented or should be supplemented by spiritual practice and you know, things like morality and concentrated and, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, wisdom. To understand that if I continue eating the way that I'm eating, I'm going to continue gaining weight. If I continue eating the way that I'm eating, I'm probably going to die young. That if I'm not focused on uh, building my body, building my, you know, my mind, training my mind, or living in that flow state, the chances are I am going to lose my way. It's the cause and effect. And going to the Noble Eightfold Path, as I've said, the, 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 the four truths and the Noble Eightfold Path, it's, that's, why, that's why I love Buddhism. Buddhism simplifies things. I'm telling you that live with the right view, where you're seeing things for how they are, where you understand that one, suffering exists, and that uh, in order for you to stop suffering, you just have to understand that you're of the nature to suffer. Telling you that you need to live with right thinking, where you're able to articulate yourself and cognize in a manner that will allow you not to do things that would cause you to die, or things that would cause you to hurt, but do things that would grow you, that would enrich you. That's right thinking. Understanding that if I'm in a relationship and I am fighting with my partner, it will not help me to escalate matters by bringing up things that happened six years ago. That's not right thinking. Right thinking is getting the knowledge or understanding that, okay, gauging a situation and saying, how do I respond? So, yeah, okay. I continue because there are eight. Yeah. There were three. You go to right concentration, which means that concentration does not mean, as you are saying, where you allow your mind to go all over the place. It's focusing on one thing. I think in Luganda they say, Sigala uh, Kumlamba, as I think, as in where you focus on, 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 on something. I could have uh, gotten that late. Uh -huh. Are you familiar with Cassina practice? No, what's that? Looking at the flame, for example. It's a meditation practice where you. Just start a uh -huh. Now all those, no, I'm not familiar with that, but all those, the way that you've mentioned it, those are all ways to try and train your senses, to be able to stay in flow, for them to be able to concentrate on something. Now, focusing on the breath is a good way to concentrate. I will not concentrate if I want to learn something, if I go to in the middle of a market where there's all that noise and people are pulling me here and there. How am I going to concentrate? Now that's why sitting meditation is important. Because you see that you need time where you 
are by yourself where you're able to concentrate and hone in and basically you're able to a tick to you're able to calm down and in coming down you're able to face life's problems as they come at you beyond that as i've said you have right speech that the tongue is powerful the tongue has ability the, t- the tongue has caused wars it's caused world wars has caused marriages to break the tongue has caused friendships to go asunder and that i should watch the, my tongue and what it says that's right speech going beyond as i've said then you're going to right mindfulness at paying attention uh-huh, that's that's where we come in that paying attention or being mindful does not mean that you're always labeling everything as it as it goes along that if if uh, if i am going to fall into a hole oh my gosh i'm falling into a hole no that's not right mindfulness right mindfulness is looking into the true nature of things but being at paying attention in the moment that practically with the more you meditate the more you see your mind and your body and your spirit are in sync that if you're falling into a hole in that split second you know yes i'm falling into a hole but you know that i need to grab somewhere perhaps that would be able to save my life that is a fruit of meditation as a result of you performing or practicing right mindfulness right diligence understanding that sitting for 15 minutes for 2 months will not perhaps allow me to be able to have the tools that will give me life up until i am in my old age the diligence to understand that meditation requires practice that that practice can no is not just practice where you just do things for but you do things in a manner that other people have taught you this is what i did and this is what worked and that's why i'm telling you now that sitting meditation helps for me i have done it for maybe about 3 years or so but in that period of time i have seen the benefits of sitting it allows me to align my day and when i go into work i can be a good lawyer because of that and i can comfortably say that being the meditation has allowed me to practice law in a manner that i had never thought possible that has allowed me to be a good lawyer and the results of show for themselves that those are fruits of meditation i think i have gone through yeah, the yeah, eight I, i think i get them i think i get them i think though that uh, so first of all when you put it like that they seem like uh, a list of the commandments right because when you say right concentration then it's going to be up to you to define what that right is compared to what my right is no right? no and this is something i don't want to get wrong mm-hmm. ultimately that's why you asked me before why i picked from different sources yeah, yeah. perceptions have deceptions kenneth and sometimes we have these perceptions or we have these thoughts about things and we think that what we are thinking about is it or that is right you must always have the discipline you must have the 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 wisdom to compare or to be able to analyze the situation one based on what other people have done and what is seemingly uh right in the in the in the circumstances the reason why the book why the bible is so revered is because that book when you read it you see wisdom flowing out of it It doesn't matter who you are whether you're a buddhist whether you are a, a muslim it does not matter that when you read the bible outside the message in the bible is a timeless truth now when you pick from those particular truths from things that have worked that gives you foundations that will allow you then to pick and to keep moving forward that is what will make you a better human being a better father a better husband So right concentration is not just getting all, all those those parts are not just you finding your own way no finding your own way is being able to read 
all all these other different things and being comfortable in what helps you and what is easier for you as well in the sense that if it is easier for me to practice mindfulness meditation then so be it if it is better for me to to practice is it hatha yoga where you you're breathing <laughs> good for you to practice the one where you're focusing on candle flames you know and the rest again if the purpose and that's why we're talking about the cause and effect if the purpose is to allow you ultimately to achieve the purpose of meditation or mindfulness meditation which is to gain awareness and to pay attention yeah. okay. then you go with that so, uh, right in this case you're saying is the goal because again if this is not defined yeah if it's left up to the buddha or up to the imam or up to the father or up to you know the, the reverend to decide what right thinking is or to decide what uh right action is or you know you know that kind of stuff right for example you were questioning whether 15 minutes a day for two months is valuable right you don't think that's right diligence no no i didn't say that okay, i no, said right diligence is when you understand that by doing something the example that i gave that was just an example of right diligence yeah. that by doing something consistently and diligently that if i'm sitting and meditating i'm going to actually do what the what uh, my teachers have told me that i should focus on my breath and not just sit because i've called this time meditation hour that then i just here i've called it meditation hour here i have a cigarette here i have a, a bottle and i have friends going around that's not diligence you have just is in, in essence called that particular period meditation but you're not meditating so diligence is actually doing something that you have started out to do okay. Okay. if you're going to dig in in a you know in a, a garden right diligence is knowing that if i lift my hole like this and put it down and i pull i will be doing something rather than if i'm just swinging my hole in the air is that going to achieve anything in terms of the seeds that you, that you want to plant and thinking of seeds that's why those seeds the seeds are spoken about in the bible and they're spoken about in buddhism and everywhere else that the seeds of fruits of acting or living in a certain way those things that i've mentioned are defined they're written down they have existed for years and years and this is wisdom that has been passed down sometimes we think we know all these things you mentioned this at the beginning that you know makenneth i'm telling you you don't know okay. so none okay. of us knows so, so, mm -hmm. okay so so my question again is what this definition this very very definition of right yeah and uh when i practiced for me this definition evolved over time right evolved over time until at a point right now where i think right practice is no practice right uh there is also the tantric no uh, that is a wrong view so exactly who defines it how do you know it's a wrong view right and and i'm not let me first also hint mm. on this the the tantric version mm. there is a tantric tradition yes that claims uh you're really enlightened you just need to know it yeah which is basically mindful be mindful right uh there is that tantric view right mm. and uh, i think the more in depth you go as a as a meditator the more you realize that uh, less is more right uh, you need less contemplation you need less a lot of that you need to take it away and bear down uh, your what you consider to be meditation to just leave it okay right and the the reason i'm saying uh, sort of like the vagueness of scriptures is uh, again i tried uh, when i was meditating mostly i was uh, most of my meditation teachers were more secular as i mentioned mm. actually that side is a little bit 
uh, scientist. Uh, then this uh, Bate mm. is uh, okay for him is Buddhist, but yeah, he's also the other Hindu Buddhism, I think. Brother Hinduism, brother. Uh, and then this uh, guy, Ingram, is an American, considers himself a Buddhist, but most of his stuff is mostly, I think, if mathematics was a religion, that's why he would subscribe, right? And uh, the, for me, the, 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 the value for having teachers for who think about these things, who are not attached to a specific tradition per se, is to to listen to when they call onto the tradition, right? Uh, Ingram emphasizes those uh, four truths and the, the path, right? Uh, and yeah, and so when it comes to him teaching about the path in his book, he has to make up, he has to give an opinion of what he considers to be the right path, right? Uh, rather, what right means in terms of right concentration. Yeah, because he's actually good, he's also mystic. He's, uh, I think he has one competition of like those focused concentration things, right? Uh, he's one of those guys they've put in those EMR machines to see if he can switch some of his body parts off, if he can reduce the rate at which he starts pumping. Some of those like uh, sports, like sort of mental sports, yeah. Uh, but the the when he's telling you how far is to concentrate, and I, and I, was, I wanted, I wish we had known about Casina because. Now Cassina can make you run mad. Cassina is just looking at the candle flame. If you do it for 24 hours, you start to lose the sense of... Yeah, but can, and no, 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 that's no, why I'm no, saying no, the no, difficulty no, with no, having... No. That's what I'm saying. The difficulty with having too much information is that you lose your way. It's the same thing if you're reading for an exam and then you, 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 have, you have a physics exam or a math exam, then you're reading biology and you're reading history, you're reading what? You lose your way, Kenneth. I'm, I'm telling you that let us simplify this by yeah. talking about meditation, which is the mindfulness meditation, which is the act of breathing in, breathing out. That's one it. of the tools. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm and also... But, mm -hmm. but also, the, okay, the, the, how we got here is how do I convince Mark to take up this practice? The fruits. All those things you're talking about... Hold on, and I, and I, and I, and I uh, try to answer that. You were talking about how do you know this is a right a wrong view? How do you know this is a right view? How do you know this is this is right uh, mindfulness? The fruits. If you plant jambula, and the tree grows from that, and you're able to reap and you get the fruits and you taste that sweet, I don't even know if it's a it's a berry. You taste that sweet berry, you know that you've done the right thing with what you did to plant. You so watered it properly. You, you know gave it the, the right manure. The fruits. How do you know before the tree grows that you're okay. planting? Well, of course, now, that's a, a, a difficult question to answer because ultimately, as I've said, many of these tools already exist to give you a starting point. And it's up to you. You see why many of these other experiences exist, tantric, all these other things, is because the mind and the body have, in every essence, almost limitless potential. That the people that we have seen that can be able to withstand pain in a manner that you cannot be able to understand. That even without looking at those people, women in particular during childbirth, uh, during the, you know, any woman who has given birth will testify as to how painful that is. My wife gave birth and I saw the pain as she was in. Now, it's very difficult to actually, uh, I was watching a documentary the other way where they were saying that that pain tolerance is as a result of the hormone estrogen. 
and they're able to trace that and say that that allows perhaps gives them a higher pain tolerance or threshold for pain now that really um, i use that example to show you that as human beings the possibilities are limitless there are people who can do so many things because they have considered other people because it has come naturally to them that's good for them but if we go talking about all these things you that's having discussions where we're talking about other things no i cannot talk about tantra because i have not experienced it i cannot talk about looking at candles because i have not experienced it and i'd be lying to your you know to your viewers or listeners if i then went into things that i have not practiced i've practiced mindfulness meditation and you ask me how will i get mark or another person to be able to yeah, do so, exactly. so by understanding that by sorry by seeing the fruits in my life by seeing how how do you get a person who doesn't want to be Okay. To take up this practice, yeah, and, and obviously you, you know, you 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 accomplished and all that. But I'm saying a person who, who thinks their life should take a different path. You try it. You see, nothing will come of anything unless you first take a step. See, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a step. Okay. That's the same thing. Same the thing. tools exist. They're there. But the problem is, these tools have been your mind. Now you see how your mind can be a dangerous thing. Your mind has put all these other biases and perceptions on this taking you away from the simplicity which is paying attention paying attention to your breath. I see, I see, I see. Okay. That's why thinking sometimes that's why you know thinking is a gift and a curse. Thinking allows you know and the more you think the there's a book by a monk very simple book called but called is it uh, oh man I forget but the monk is called Hainim Sunim. He writes so simply and he's saying that the more you overthink something that the more that those perceptions that you have in your in your head continue to you know to form and they take you away from something that could be beautiful. And I'm telling you that in the simplest form I I gave the example of myself because you're asking me how you know how will I go tell other people uh to get you know to do something i'll tell them because as i said i've experienced it now for them let them experience you can't know the true test of food unless you test it kenneth so, so i'll tell you how yeah, a burger tastes i'll tell you how a, a salad tastes but you your palate is the one that will allow you to be able to test and know that this food tastes awesome i see okay so if you uh, and the reason I'm, i'm emphasizing on this what this is going to be the last part we do this right the reason i'm emphasizing on this is because uh i feel like this could be valuable yeah if we invested some time in knowing understanding why the majority of people don't meditate and and i'm saying this because i personally have seen the fruits of meditation i have an answer to that even before we go you know deeper into that particular discussion when you wake up in the morning what's the first thing you do kenneth Okay after after you go to the toilet Yeah I I do my 15 minutes that day that's okay. what I say for my 15 minutes Maybe I'll ask a different question how often are you on your phone Oh okay I have the discipline around that but a lot yeah I, I see your point yeah but uh, I've also read books that tell me but now, the, the world has so many distractions the society we live in has so many distractions one from conversations where as I've said people think that they know and then you end up misleading other people Or number two as well because of all these distractions we are distracted generation that we keep talking about attention span we are distracted generation from when you are baby you are now the kids that are my son he's, he's uh, coming to two years so i try to limit his tv time 
But I still, you know, it's, I still see that in order for him to learn, there are shows on TV that will allow him. Now, if that's the way he's learning concentration by watching TV, oh my, I'm, I don't know how, the, how he will be when he's 30 or 40 or 50. So because we're a distracted generation, the things that should matter to us, the things that should help us live a better or healthier life, we ignore. They talk about plant-based diets and how those can help you live a healthier life. How many people have the discipline to stick to not eating meat? There are few people that will be able to stick to those things. So there are two things. We're distracted, we don't have discipline. And those two are a dangerous combination. Because if you're distracted, then you're just taking everything that comes. And I already told you the subconscious stores everything. Sometimes we think we're powerful, eh? but not knowing that yeah. we are, so, you know, we are a summation, one of your hormones. Your hormones are the ones that will guide whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you go do exercise, whether you do all these things. Now, again, that's why everything works in an ecosystem, you know, in that flow. But in order for you to be able to have your body working at optimum, feed it well, exercise, meditate, where you breathe and you focus and you know that you're breathing in the oxygen that replenishes you. But when you're distracted and when you don't have the discipline, the fact is you'll have millions of people who do not reap from the benefits of meditation. I'm telling you that anyone who has gotten the benefits of, of uh, meditation, that's why we teach it. That's why I teach it. Because I have seen, I have tested of it. And now I'm now offering you the plate, Kenneth. It's up to you to refuse it. I see, I see. Okay. No, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. But here's the thing, right? And, and uh, you're trying to dodge it. You're trying to hide from what I'm asking, right? You meet a person. You know for sure, right? You know for sure. Let's say education, right? You know for sure that uh, people who are educated, uh, they correlate very well with people who what the number of people who get educated and the number of people who basically are useful in, in their elder life, who become uh, successful or become productive in society, that number correlates. You know, the more you, rather the more people, the more educated people is also is direct proportional to the more successful people. Yeah, quote unquote success. Yeah, you know that, right? But you know that a kid in P six, yeah whose father is rich because he made a deal at some container, yeah? It's going to be very hard to convince him, yeah? That, you know, unless your father was a lucky person, right? Unless he's as lucky as your father, you know, chances are, are that education is a what? An advantage for you, right? So you know the problem, what you're saying is, people who don't meditate, they're distracted and they're indisciplined, right? Okay, so again, I know you didn't mean it like in, in that form, right? You know that we know that that's a problem, right? Mm. So but that's not what I said, though. Yeah, no, no, I, know. I, I hope the listeners yeah, don't think I've said that just because. So it doesn't seem like. So the point is, we know the problem, right? We know a solution. We know that. Okay, so we know rather there are two problems. We know that people who don't get educated, uh, life may not turn out so well for them, right? We know that. But we know that also the, the other problem is convincing a person that uh, dedicating uh, 10 years of your life, rather 16 years of your life, to this process uh, with no immediate returns will actually have results, right? It's, it's a hard thing. We know we, so we know those two things. In the hypothetical world, right? We know those two things, right? So what governments and every, you know, those studied people try to do is, ah, let's try to give them free education, yeah? And then people still don't come. Ah, let's try to give them food at school. And then, you know, you are practice, you know, slowly by slowly, you keep attracting a, a bigger percentage to come and to come to school and test the fruits, what you're saying, you know, 
I don't know what the burger tastes like from people telling me until I test it, right? So the, 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 what governments and NGOs and UNICEF are doing is come up with a process that encourages at least more people and more people to come at school or more people and more people to stay in school, for example, right? What I'm saying, what I'm asking is when it comes to meditation, yeah? What would you consider to be a way to convince a person who helps meditation? Who doesn't know meditation? Who doesn't know about meditation? Yeah, who doesn't know about meditation? But who still doesn't want to be you? You know, if that this person has seen his father, who he, he wants to be his father. His father is he puts on a facade of a, of, of a content person. Uh, his father is putting on a facade of a content person. This person is sold to that and he knows, ah, I don't care. If I become a drunkard like my father, I see my father what? My father is living the life, basically, right? So you you've told you you've come with your gospel meditation. How do you what are the specific steps? I think that's what I'm trying to get to. By showing him. You see, as human beings, usually, yeah. no, not usually, my son, who I have mentioned is coming to two years, he learns by seeing. Mm. And now even eating, he won't eat unless he sees you mm. eating. Now, let's use that, that as some example. If from when he sees me eating, all I'm eating are burgers, all I'm eating is pizza, all I'm eating is all this fried food. Chances are, one, if I'm eating that, that's what's available, and that's what he'll also eat. Compared to if I was, if every time he saw me eating, he saw me eating a fruit. Now, we know for a fact, and this is something that's not about meditation or what, that eating fruits and vegetables give you nutrients that will allow you to be healthy. If he picks up that habit from when he's a baby, doesn't he stand a better chance at life? Now, what I'm going to is that you teach meditation one by people seeing the fruits in you now that's i know a paradox in itself because if if 90 percent of, of the of the population uh, does not understand or does not is or is not interested in many of these things then how will you know how will they be able to learn but the truth is that 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 10 percent perhaps should be the ones that show the fruits and if i sat here in this podcast and someone picked and said, okay, this must have worked for this person. Let me try and see for myself. Let me test of this myself. That will cause a ripple effect. I learned from other people. I should, I, I should have mentioned this earlier. The reason why I started meditating was because I was, I was depressed. I was anxious. And I didn't want to get onto medication. This is my story. And I started meditating the same way you did, 5, 10 minutes, 15, but I stuck to it. And where I am now, it doesn't mean that I don't have days when I get sad, when I get overwhelmed. It happens every day because of the nature of my life. But I have the tools to be able to manage that stress. I have the tools to be able to manage that anxiety. The effect is that I am living a healthier and better life. Whether you like it or not, it's food that I have tasted. Now it's up to you. That was one. That's why we had that uh, discussion about free will. Yeah. I don't believe that we live in a universe or in a world that allows you to have complete free will. We live in a deterministic universe. That many things are outside of our control. But the free will is the choice for you to be able to know that even when all these things are outside of your control, I'll choose to do X and Y. You have the choice to eat healthy or not to eat healthy. You have the choice to exercise or not to exercise. And you notice in Kampala, now, COVID is what allowed more people to see the benefits of exercise because they were bored, they were not doing anything. And also, also on TV, on social media, how many people were running, like on the bypass and everything else. People like to copy. 
That's human nature. We copy. And in copy now, if you're able to copy positive tools, so be it. Okay. So, so uh, we're not going to go on. I was trying to trick you. No. Hold on. I want that question of why a lot of people are not meditating answered. No, I want to get to it. There are two reasons because one, we are a very disrupted generation. We are disrupted by so many things. Now, gadgets are the ones that disrupt us. That if I spend half my day on TikTok, if I spend half my day on Facebook, the chances that I will then take that aside and say, let me go take a walk. Were well, people in my father's generation meditating more? You see, when I say disrupted generation, I use gadgets as what's happening now. But disruptions have existed from the beginning of time. Politics can disrupt. There are many societies that have crumbled. The Roman Empire crumbled mostly because of politics. Is not a disruption? Sorry, so Ken, I was trying to trick you into introducing your book. <laughs> Here is the thing, right? Uh, and we can, I don't want us to do another backup for this, but philosophizing okay, is what brings you to uh, forget about your short-term needs and focus on what? Uh, sort of the more long-term thing, the marshmallow test. Uh, well, I, I don't know if this is the test they did, but they say kids who did eat the marshmallow, I don't know if you part of that test. So they, they put a bunch of kids in a room, uh, then they give each kid a marshmallow, and then they tell the kid that if whoever eats their marshmallow before the supervisor comes back, doesn't get a second one. But whoever has theirs until the supervisor comes back, gets a second one. And then the supervisor goes, and the kids wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, and most of them give up. Uh, so they, there was a very fake study initially that apparently the kids who didn't eat the marshmallow uh, were able to be calmer in life, to be more successful because they can control their ideas. But there's another study now that shows that the kids who didn't eat the marshmallow are kids who have grown up in traditions of philosophizing, right? Uh, and this means religion, this means where you have a hardcore story, yeah, that uh, is more important, that makes you part of a bigger picture. Yeah, and, and uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is your book, for example, the work you've done, right? That definitely gets more people to meditate because it introduces the stories to them that sell this, right? Uh, same thing with religion, right? But the idea is if you sell, if you sell, uh, if you sell me, like for example, when I started, let me also give my story as when I started, right? Uh, when I started for me, it was very selfish results. I read about the Buddha, I was impressed by all these, uh, you know, the mythical where they write about the Buddha. I was impressed by the superior guy, and his, it was clear for him, uh, his message is clear. Don't believe me, try it for yourself, right? But, you know, his, all these superior things. So I thought, ah, let me try. And my initial goal in, joining, in trying to meditate was to be the Buddha, you know, to be that kind of guy who doesn't die, who doesn't live, who doesn't, who's just, uh, well, who's not human anymore? Who's a Buddha? Uh, well, my point was basically that what? That uh, the exaggeration, and I've read a uh, uh, guy called Joseph Campbell. His book is called The Hero of a Thousand Faces, right? And his book is about myths and fairy tales and how these stories have moved. Are very similar. Okay, his book is mostly analyzing them, how they are very similar in all situations, uh, in, in all societies, yeah? And the point of this is, what, even if you figure out uh, 
unless you know, for example, with math, unless you, you, you can force people to, to learn. You, you know, you can force kids in a class and tell them if you go out on KNU, uh, and if you don't pass out KNU, so then they have to learn. Unless you, you have that kind of power. The best way of, of sort of uh, motivating free people to do things that don't have immediate effects is philosophizing, you know, is uh, writing. For example, what you're doing, right, is uh, getting all these cultures. And that's why I was, uh, when, when I started, I hinted on why you reference, why, why I thought your book had huge references, many references, you know. When you bring works from other cultures, you know, when you bring the story that I relate to, for example, and you bring the story that the Christian relates to, and you bring the story that, you know, the Stoic relates to, and you try to make me see it as, oh, we are all doing the same thing, mm. you're selling me yes. your new story. You know, what you're telling me is basically, okay, now that you agree with me, the Christian and the Buddhist and the Stoic, now sit and breathe. I already trust you because you've made me see, maybe I've been hating Christians, but you made me see Christians a different way, and Stoics in a different way, and I'm like, oh, okay, this guy may be actually smart, right? And now I... I, 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 I do get to the next step, right? And if the next step also has value, uh, then I get to the, to the step. So there are three things. Uh, the big story is, you know, when you die, you go to heaven. Guess you just start praying, right? Uh, when you pray, if you do it right, your mind comes down, you become just a little, it's a meditation as well, right? When you do that, then you start saying, oh, God is doing things for me. Then you start giving. You know, you go to church and start giving. And when you give and... You know, it makes you a better person, makes you a freer person, makes you interact with your people more. You basically keep your goal. You initially started as uh, a guy who wants to go to heaven. Mm. At a point where you give, and you know, there's complexities when you give, and the Bible tells you, oh, if you give just to go to heaven, you're not doing it right, blah, 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 right thinking, the, the, for the eightfold path, right? You start to, your, your, your goal, your mythical goal basically changes. I'm like, oh, let me just give for the sake of giving, right? But when you forget that, I'm not actually, I didn't start out as giving. I know there's value in giving for the sake of giving, but initially, I didn't start out as giving for the sake of giving. I had a goal that sort of, uh, sort of C has shown me that my goal was wrong, but it is an, a good initial goal to have. Then you can become a teacher, basically. Then you can say, okay, this is a attractive student, right? And, and I was telling you about Ingram. So Ingram's book is also like that. It's promising you the title of the core teachings of the Buddha he's promising you that after reading his book it's an honest book of meditation and after reading it you'll be one with the buddha but at the end when you read the end all models of buddhahood he's dismissing them so you know uh the guy who meditates too much he's basically dissing every version of buddhahood you know including mm. god and religion right and so basically he has tricked you through the whole book but there is value in following his practice because at now you know at the point you read the end you know i'm just meditating to meditate, right? But that's not something you can tell anyone. You can't, unless, of course, like young child, it's easy to tell them, um, you mm. know, you do it because you, if you no, know, your child usually wants to be you. Mm. Well, you know, people look up to you, but some people look up to different people who claim to have different practices, right? A lot of people in Uganda want to be Drake, for example, for some reason, right? So it's hard if Drake is telling you in his raps that, oh, every day I go to the club and I get these beaches. It's hard. For me to come and tell you, ah, you know what? No, Drake's life is actually not as good. Sit down and meditate, right? The only way is to con to promise people. I, I know. I, I think my point is clear. That yeah, but you see, yeah. and what I don't want to do and what I don't do is to draw parallels to say that this is, you know, that uh, sitting and meditating is the only way that you can mm -hmm. be able to be happy. 
Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. That uh, reading my book is the only way that you'll be able to get all these things. That's not what I'm saying. The purpose of writing a book, in my mind, I told you at the beginning I'm a teacher, is to try and teach. But to try and teach meditation in a way that I felt was missing in Uganda, which is for it to be relevant to Ugandans. To see a Uganda talking about something like meditation. And I think the challenge with language, the challenge with, yes, with language is that it allows us to label things. That allows us to understand things, but in labeling things, we put them in a box. Now, we, we have put meditation in a box. We have put, even by putting in a book, you know, by putting something in a book, perhaps that is what I'm doing. I'm putting meditation in a box. But I hope for anyone who picks up this book, that one, it opens your mind to have what I call beginner's mind, to understand that there are things that we don't know. And perhaps now this book will be able to point some of those things and will allow you to have an appetite for things that you perhaps didn't even think you were interested in. Things like science. Things, you know, science is not only a preserve of scientists. We see that because from meditation, it allows you, when you question into the nature of things, you start to then now want to understand, you know, what are the fundamental forces? That's another way of learning. That's in my mind. That was an, it's, I, I've learned these things in an easier manner and how I learned them in school where you just read to cram and do. That can work in certain instances. But usually that habit won't stick. At a certain point, you lose the plot. Again, I'll go back to saying that, but when you look into these things and you try for yourself, you will then get your own experience. But your experience will not be far from what others have gotten, what I have written here. Because the fruits are things that you will not, they are here. And you also find them in your own life if you start and try to take the lessons and message from this book. But this book does not say that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the example that you gave, that because Drake is in the club, doing all these things, that that is wrong, and that person is living. I don't have the moral authority to say that. I mentioned at the beginning that everything is impermanent. And as such, if I understand that, I also understand that, you know, uh, something that may be uh, uh, bad generally to society at a particular time may be good at at, uh, at another time. But I also understand that some of the things we fear, we fear them because we don't understand them. See, and that's maybe some, that's a, a, an issue I have with some, you know, with certain uh, ways of presenting, like the word of God, in a manner that if you do this and you don't do this, you're dumb to hell, you're dumb to this. That in my mind makes everything so, it's, you're looking at things like, you know, this and that. It's, it's, one thing pitted against another. You're not looking at the gray areas exist in many things. And sometimes in those gray areas, you're able to find answers. I found many answers in the gray areas. And that's what for me, that's why I was shocked when you say that meditation, well, shocked and I understood the more we conversed why you went away from meditation. It's feeding all these things in that take you away from the simplicity, which is just paying attention to your breath and seeing the fruits of meditation. So I'm hoping there's a, there's a whole yeah. chapter here on sitting meditation, Definitely. which shows you how to sit. For example, meditation is not about sitting with cross legs. I sit like this because yeah. I am comfortable sitting like this. But it also... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> but, it allows, but sitting like this allows me to have a straight back. And a straight back allows me not to doze. Not, it's, just, it's practical. Yeah. All these things I'm telling you are practical. But you can meditate by putting your feet down. You notice somewhere along the way, my feet go tired. I put them down. And I will, but I'm more comfortable and I'm more, atten I'm more attentive 
when my legs are crossed and I'm sitting, but you can meditate lying down, you can meditate walking, there's walking meditation. So I want really, I want the effect of this book to be that it asks, people ask the why, be like, hmm, okay, I thought this was all about Buddhism. I thought this was all about, it has meditation, I'm saying this now, is Buddhism has taught it, Buddhism has packaged it, the way Christianity has packaged prayer, but prayer is a form of meditation. And I've given you an instance, go and read Mark, how Christ went to meditate. By sitting, going away in, uh, in uh, seclusion. The fact that the man was sitting in a storm and he was calm, yes, of course he knew he was Christ, but also I would like to think because that man, he was centered. He was focusing on his breath. <laughs> and that allowed him then to be able to take any storms that were able to, sorry, that, that, that uh, wanted to be able to blow him away. So if I'm able to then draw parallels from my own life, from my own experiences as a Christian, I am Anglican and I grew up as such. But meditation and having a beginner's mind has also allowed me to think and say, okay, this was one worldview, but there are other worldviews. But thankfully, I've been able to see the connection of all those worldviews. And that's why I agree with you about philosophy. Philosophy allows you to think, allows you to use this brain of ours that's a gift. But philosophy is not about writing flowery language or about getting concepts and quoting Jean-Paul Sartre and talking about existentialism and talking about all these other things. Philosophy is just a simple question of asking why. Why does breathing help? Say, eh, okay. Can I try to breathe and see if it will actually give me the same benefits that it has given? Can I? Okay. If I sit and do so, okay then. But why don't other people also do this? Again, I'll answer the question. But in everything, in summing up what I am saying, and this is something, it's possible that a huge majority of people can be misled. You saw that there was a particular time when a particular race of people thought that black people were not people. You mean white people? Yes. <laughs> and there was a time when slavery was allowed because blacks, white people are not seen as, 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 a, as a human beings. But then we see the more that society went on, the more that people spoke up against these things and the more that you're seeing this black person is like me, they laugh like me, they talk like me, they're thinking like me. So what really is the difference other than the color? Of my skin then those perceptions start to change that's why i'm saying perceptions have deceptions mm -hmm. and many perceptions and myths about meditation are because it's been tied up with mysticism with buddhism with all these other things that take away from the simplicity of just paying attention and staying in the present moment yeah no i see i see uh, let's uh, let's go to the other part of the book the self uh, and uh yeah i mean you can i want you to first introduce sort of how you understand the self but uh, the goal of basically this discussion and us to also talk about uh, free will. I have some thoughts of free will, but mm. I'm very curious because I see we have already disagreed there. So yeah, uh, so the self, right? And I think part of what you put in your book is control. Yeah, you write about control. And I, okay, uh, let me not shut, just tell us, tell me, you know. Control is an oxymoron because, you know, you wanted to control things sometimes, as I mentioned, you then lose the, uh, the essence of what it means to be in control, which is to accept. Control is acceptance. Mm -hmm. Control doesn't mean, you know, control the way we think about it in that, in that manner. But the self, the way that I, I surmise it, is you have, the more that you look deeper into your nature, you realize that you have different attributes of you. 
that you have the physical attributes which is the form and that form is the one that allows people to recognize you the one that allows you to be able to live then you have what we call mental formations mental formations are your thoughts your imaginations all those things memory i would, I would think is part of your mental formations mm-hmm. but do you agree with me that without memory you wouldn't have relationships so you would not have I, i would go as far as calling memory a physical thing isn't it now beyond that you also have what we call feelings other than the physical form that you see here is if i touch my hand here i will feel it I will feel I'll feel my my hand going over my other hand and those are other feelings that goes well of anger of love of of uh, of of of, of uh, well worries uh, not a feeling basically those emotions yeah. and sensations and then the last which I look at which some people disagree with is your consciousness your consciousness is separate from your brain your brain is the means through which consciousness perceives this world but consciousness in my mind and that's why we keep looking at the observer in meditation who is observing is that the real consciousness or is my brain that has created this thoughts the consciousness but i said the more you look into things like thoughts the more you look into that nature is where you start to see that these things can be separated but are part of you they form you your amyological sum of all those things together So my soul, my spirit, my consciousness, I can't hide from the fact I say that I'm Christian, so I believe in existence of a soul. But this soul, the way that I've understood it is similar to what the scientists call consciousness, which is that intangible, seemingly intangible thing that runs that 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 is you. But if you separated the body, you separated your thoughts, you separated your feelings, there's still that part of you that exists. And that's what I call consciousness, that's what I call the soul. And so the self is comprised of all these parts and that meditation allows you one to see all those parts but also to be in tune with all those parts that if my thoughts are not running away from me my mental formations yeah. are in sync with with my emotions with my feelings that if my feelings if I'm not overly caught up by desire and uh, gluttony that, that I'm looking at now the extreme of feelings that could be beautiful then I am in sync and if i'm in sync with my body with my mind with my spirit i am a happy individual i see so uh first of all i don't agree that we are conscious okay uh i i think though that consciousness is uh what's the word it's sort of an attribute of intelligence yeah and i'm i'm going to so this is not a thought of of like clearly thought like i don't have it all well thought i'm going to give you my half thought and then we shall keep the conversation going from there Uh, first analogy is uh, so in programming most all programming languages have a function called random yeah so given a collection say of things say a collection of numbers say from 1 to 1 million yeah you can say you can call that function that collection and say uh, this collection dot random uh, so that it can spit out any one random number right okay. so uh, if it's you you couldn't tell for example what random number it is right but uh, these uh, programs are written in a way that they use uh, so like okay the programs i know they are written that they use a lot of uh, information they know about what's computing right so they know about the hardware and what what to come up with this variable that they use to compute randomness yeah but in in, in essence it's a computation okay right so uh, if i did say i'm going to use the word array to mean uh, that collection right 
if if an array, if I said uh, an array that has one to one million, if I said array dot random, uh, it would spit out a number like ten, okay. right? And then it would spit out a number like a hundred thousand, right? And then it would spit like a num numbers that don't have patterns, right? For me, the pattern I wouldn't recognize, right? But in this sense, since this is a computation, uh, again, the computer is so limited, it can't think, right? There is a pattern to it. It's just a very complex pattern that's full of very, very, very variables, right? If you train a simple machine learning system to watch this computer predict random. So if you give it a big data set, say one to a hundred billion, hmm. yeah, or one to one trillion, yeah, and uh, let it and, and train the the computer, the, the machine learning system, the, the, the you know, yeah, machine learning system to to hmm. to just learn what the prediction is and say, you know, uh, tell it when it's wrong and when it's right, right? Mm. Uh, say the random function says, print, say you say random one and print one, random the first print one. And then the machine just picked another number and you say you're wrong, right? And then it says uh, random, random again, and then it picks, say, uh, 99,000, whatever, right? And this one got it right. After a period of time, you can train this AI machine to predict what random will do. Because again, random is not entirely random. So it's random just for practical cases of what you want to compute. But it's not entirely random. It's a computation that actually happens for the computer to be able to speak that up, right? But what would happen is if you if you throw with the if you've trained the AI machine well enough to predict every move, it has predicted the variables that constitute this computation, right? Uh, if you abstract that away, yeah, and for you the act of you, like if I'm showing you, uh, if I'm telling you that this AI machine is random, instead of going to, uh, this AI machine that I've built can get random numbers, it will appear, it will, if it's predicting so accurately, it will appear as if that AI machine is the one generating the random numbers, right? So if a person who doesn't know, a person say who has an expectation of what the random number should be, but doesn't know how they're calculated, they won't be able to tell, if you give them blind tests of both programs, they won't be able to tell which one is the AI machine and which one is the what? The actual program computing that random number, right? So in, the, in that sense, that is sort of the analogy that I have for what? For, for consciousness. It is, we are so good a predictive machine about some things that we think we're actually creating them, right? Say so for, for right now, I can uh, look, I, I like, I like, I like, I like how you have brought it up. But I think if we, if, we, if I don't respond there, we'll talk about something okay, else. Okay, okay. I wanted to just finish this analogy. It'll be just the example, the one example. Okay. Yeah? So, for example, if I wanted to slap you right now, yeah, I can make a cautious mind to slap you. Okay. But the way I understand it is, I am so intelligent that I can predict. The, uh, certain, the variables around that will cause this son to slap you in a way that I would think, I'll trick myself into thinking that I actually consciously decided to slap you. Okay. Yeah. Now, I really love how you use the example of artificial intelligence. Did artificial intelligence disappear out of nothing? No. Okay. Is, is it the complexity of its nature? Is this something that just came to be? Okay, so you and I agree that for AI to exist or for computers to exist, man had to exist to be able to create them, correct? Okay, yeah. Now, let's try and use the same analogy for our bodies. And if you're saying that you're likening our minds to computers in that manner that we just, you input this and X and Y comes up, 
that validates my point that I said at the beginning that all these things that that can't be random someone should have done the programming or the coding using your same analogy yeah we'll talk about that as well but yeah okay now, and the reason why i love spirituality and why i love god and why i love uh, the representation of god for example in christianity is it allows me to have that sense of belonging to understand that that spirit that i spoke about that consciousness is a part of a bigger consciousness we are connected in every sense There are so many stories and this is something I want you to appreciate or I hope you'll be able to appreciate anyway is that feelings when you have a feeling about something what's that when you have a gut feeling maybe you okay maybe that's okay maybe you say it is it is uh, chemicals but are there instances like where a mother can feel something is wrong with a child even when they're not in the same room or where you can feel no No, I mean, they're there, but also schizophrenics oh. also have those feelings. So okay. I don't think that's a well, the, 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 the thing with uh, schizophrenia is that everything that you're thinking of, everything that you think is real is actually not. But in this that's instance, the feelings... Okay, that's fine. Okay, but in this instance, the feelings that the mother has about a child that's about to die or go, go into something, there is actual scenarios that actually play out and that actually happens. But all think of of uh, of uh, of uh, of love the feelings that I was uh, that I was talking about you can also be able to reduce that into chemical emotions and everything else but if that was the case why would love be so complex if it was as simple as just chemicals making love why are relationships as difficult as they are why is love so difficult no, not even love relationships actually because love is simple in my mind but anyway yeah okay So going into back why I believe I have a soul as I've said is I believe that soul is attached to a huge or larger consciousness that what I call God. All of us come from that and draw from that. And you get to see that when you see experiences as I've said with things like psilocybin you get to see that connectedness to everything, the connectedness to nature, connectedness to other people. Now, if going back to your analogy, if human if the human brain or the, or the human mind or whatever it is that we have is as complex as you have mentioned it to be i've just told you how does ai in real life come come to be did it just appear out of nothing or was it created by guiding hands now we can go deeper and deeper into that discussion maybe that's because other people have mentioned about maybe how we're living in a matrix and how they are what but that same discussion I'll keep going back and back and back and back science, science talks about the big bang talks about how light was tra- traveling at supersonic speeds collided and then uh, the higgs boson confirmed that here we are and we have mass and we have matter but it doesn't explain what happened perhaps before the big bang or where that light in in particular came from and where i'm going with this is your mind can go as far as it can go you end up confusing yourself the reality of it is that our brains cannot comprehend those things as where spirituality comes in where you understand that there are things that you can't comprehend there are things of god and that does not mean that you're stupid or you cannot think it the understanding of your limits understanding your limits is a good way for you to be comfortable with yourself and you understand that there are things beyond this realm that your brain and my brain cannot comprehend doesn't matter whether you have einstein's brain it does not No no one has those answers what happened before the big bang does heaven truly exist but i know for a fact because of those that evidence i have given to you 
because I am here and I can feel myself here and because of that spirit that consciousness that I am that I am uh, talking about and because of the complexity of my brain and of the world that these things are not random and then now that also goes into feelings you make decisions based on your brain what you think but beyond that intuition comes in feeling comes in that's why feeling exists you have a feeling about someone you have a feeling about something and those feelings all that information interpreted the same way now we're talking about computing it's computed by this brain it's computer that then allows you to be able to make decisions to say i'm going to be this way this is the persona I, i i have this is who i'm going to love this is who i'm going to be all that information that data is computed through this very complex thing which is the brain but feelings are intangible and those feelings and the feeling that i have based on the evidence i've given to you that there has to be another guiding force a god a creator now those that's where my feelings come into play my gut tells me that that god exists my gut tells me that i am connected to that god it is confirmed by other people's guts as well that talk about the same thing and other books like the bible that took that try to explain that being that is god But where I think we lose the plot is where we try to put a form or face to God. As you mentioned a big guy with a white beard in 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 the in the sky, a white guy. Those are all things that have been fed to us and those are things that have again have taken us away from the truth. And the truth as I've said is that we cannot be here randomly. I see. Uh okay. So first uh, the two reasons that I don't think there's God. One may have some water please. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. One there is no Luganda word for God. Katonda. Katonda is creator. That's an English word. It's an English translation. There is no Luganda word for God. That alone convinces me that if God was there we didn't know about him. Then is a, a, a white people contract construct. But okay. But anyway. The, no, listen actually so, so, and uh, I am I am I, I am happy I am happy I, I am happy that you have said that. I mentioned to you before that religion is philosophy. Philosophy yeah, as I've yeah, said yeah, is what allows you to be able to ask. Mm-hmm. I, I agree yeah, yeah, yeah. See actually like this this water here. I fast for water because when I drink it it nourishes me. It makes me feel good. When I put it on my lips like this. That's what I'm going. That's exactly what I'm going. Now this water here that has the ability to make me to cure my thirst, to make me feel good. You're telling me it's random that I'll crave water? It's random that our bodies are made I think of 90 90% water. Religion is a philosophy faith is its substance and when this whole notion of christianity in particular anglican catholicism the reason why we attach it to the white man is because that was that was how faith was packaged and that's why in asia you see buddhism packages faith in a different way african traditional societies package faith in another way eh uh, that doesn't mean you asked a good question i agree with you the white man is not the one who brought god here god existed but way god beyond any any religion because god is everything now if you could go deeper into that into what i think god is likened to consciousness because they are similar the way you feel about god the same way you feel about love that's why god is likened to love you know god is likened to 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 that's why they call god spirit yeah that spirit there is it has its own characteristics so say I, f- i feel it not in my physical body not with my feelings but i feel it somewhere maybe that place that i'm feeling it is that thing that i'm calling spirit or consciousness 
But I also agree, and I hope this is something you see as well. In me using these terms, I'm giving them designations. Designations will see us, those particular designations, perhaps we, perhaps we mean the same thing. But because I'm put, giving them designations and I'm explaining them this way, maybe that's what will make us, you know, get away from, from the point. But I like that you're a man that thinks, you're a man that understands these things and have given you that question. And I hope you answer it as well. The same way Mark here was asking me to answer something else. If it's true that AI is, is programmable and is created, why can't it be true that mankind was created by a creator? Okay. No, I'm asking a question. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's, what, that's what I'm coming to answer. All right. So, uh, the, the God thing and the Magana thing was a little... Yeah, but let me, let me, let me, let me, again, the answer of uh, God mm -hmm. is broad, right? So there are three competing stories, right? One is of, uh, I think what you're trying to lean towards is the intelligent design, right? Uh, I don't entirely disagree with that. What I disagree with is the coincidence that this intelligent design also happens to be the character, right? I don't see those functions contradict, or rather complementing each other in any way. If there is a guy who designed the initial life form, right? At least, okay, I'm sure that you know from bacteria, at least there you believe that there is a path from, say, bacteria, the first uh, single cellular life form. I, I, I believe that you know there is a path to humanity there that can be explained in technical terms. Yes, but it, it, it does not explain the intangible things I've mentioned, things okay, like yeah, love. I'm going to come to those. Okay, so, but in, in creating the initial form of life, the thing that disobeys entropy, basically, uh, we know, okay, I don't know if it's a real law, I don't believe it's a real law, the whole second law of thermodynamics, that entropy will keep increasing, right? Uh, we know that it's only life that disobeys that. Anything that has life form organizes things, basically, right? So... Uh, I don't know. There, there are two arguments, obviously. Uh, there is that Darwinian thing that, for me, also doesn't make sense a lot. But there is also the intelligent design thing that doesn't also make a lot of sense. So there, I'll say, I'm also very unsure. But, yeah, you could be right. There could be an intelligent designer, the way computer programmers program computers, right? That, could, that is possible. Yeah. You see, actually, that process you're talking about of one thing leading to another leading to another... May I ask you a question as well? The water that I had alluded to earlier. This is water that we assume, you know, if you're in Kampala, you've boiled it or you have bought it, but that water is still water that comes from the ground, correct? Mm -hmm. Now, ultimately, if you look at a lake, a lake is a lake. There's water that is available in the lake, correct? Yeah. But how did that lake come to be? Do we agree that at particular moments, clouds have to form? Yeah. And those clouds then, uh, was it... Uh, what are they called? Nimbus? Nimbus they form uh -huh, all those uh, hydrogen mixes with oxygen, mixes with all these other, other gases and creates rain. The rain falls, goes into the lake. Is there a difference between the cloud, the rain, and the lake? I think so. Those are different because of the, of, the, of the designations we have given to them and because of how we are perceiving them. But if you look deeply into the nature, you see they are the same. It's one state transitioning into another. That's how life is, and that's why there is. I believe in that, in that, uh, in that. Uh, cycle. Yes, cycle. One state, one thing does not just because I'm a, I'm human like this doesn't mean it just ends here. One one thing I mentioned to you in more, the first podcast we had was about looking at time in a linear manner. Yeah. 
that is a construct because of our perceptions, because of our feelings, because of this body that helps us to see time that way. But we also understand that when you go deeper into, into the circadian rhythm, right? I, I, uh, I uh, write about it in the book, that every living thing follows an, a clock, which is day and night. Every living thing. You don't need a watch to tell you about that. And that's how time goes. But there are things that do not follow the rules of time, like your imaginations, your those thoughts, your spirit, your consciousness. Now, something transitioning from one state into another gives me or confirms to me that things are impermanent. They're always moving like that, like so, that. Uh, okay. You have to let me, if you ask a big question like... Uh, but hold on, Celine, if you want to leave, you can. No, otherwise, I'm really enjoying myself here. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you ask a question like, uh, uh, tell me that God doesn't exist, and then you, you give me two, 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 two lines, it won't make sense to you. Yeah? It's uh, like making these thoughts come together in a way that is comprehensive enough at least to put up an argument would require a bit of talking. So allow me, right? Uh, first of all, the, I wanted us to twist this towards uh, free will, but uh, it seems we are now back on God, and I want to first confront this. We can go to free will. Yeah, but there are two things that I need us to agree on, right? Do you believe in evolution of life? Okay, so, so no, not believe, like, do you understand that concept of uh, over time, over millions of years, uh, single-celled organism evolving into multi-celled organisms as a way of surviving sort of uh, Darwinian biology starting with what I don't know okay how it doesn't for me justify very well like time before life but after the first form of life so I'll be very open to saying aliens brought life to earth yeah but a time before a time after the first single-celled organism the evolution of earth since I think uh, Darwin's theory explains that very conclusively for me. Yeah, but Darwin's theory has been, I don't know, I don't want to say disproved, because there are other scientists that followed Darwin. There's a guy called Mendel. There are other scientists, uh, of Francis, it, so Galton, and the right, I think Galton, most of those, Galton in particular carried out experiments on fruit flies. Having looking at what causes genetic defects, mm -hmm. or why do particular uh, animals evolve, or you know, uh, is it to survive? Now, those experiments, especially on those fruit flies, confirm that many of those evolutional uh, many of those evolutionary processes can be random. In many, in some instances, they happen to be able to allow the particular species to be able to adapt, but in some instances, they are random. And this is a fact. So Darwin's theory is not conclusive to a fact that what the survival for the fittest and that evolution existed solely to be able to allow a particular uh, species to be able to, to, to evolve or to stay on this earth. No, no, no. So that's one worldview and one perspective. I think you can see, you so see, uh, uh, hold no, on. That, that's not Darwin's theory, at least mm -hmm. not the way I understand it, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, okay, Darwin calls his book The Origin of Species. But uh, I don't think it explains the origin. Yeah, I think the origin is still open to an intelligent designer. Good. Ah, so we agree there's an intelligent designer. I'm saying it's open. I'm <laughs> saying I'm agnostic. It okay. could be. I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not uh, okay. obvious. I'm not. But uh, where does evidence point? Yeah? Where does evidence point? I don't know. You I see, 
<laughs> That's my problem with uh, agnosticism. And this is something I'm saying very clearly to all the agnostics and the atheists. Sometimes evidence is staring you right in the face. But no, you make a choice. You make a choice. No, they are not. So, so but but, uh, but uh, you make a choice and say, uh, you know, I'm going to ignore all this information. I'm going to ignore the fact so, that I have seen robbers. That someone has told me there are robbers along the way. That there are snares there. And I'm still just going to walk that path. Okay. So let me give you a case again. It's what? God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God today. Right. But you were talking about Darwin before Darwin, we go no, to God. No, you mm. disrupted me and I want, you, I want you to make clear why uh, we can't. The reason I don't think atheists have a valid argument, mm. they're opposite. The theists, I also don't think they, they have a valid argument. Uh, God is the placeholder for I don't know. Yeah? When, basically, today, there is no practical use of God. So when you see, when you see theories like... Uh, I don't know why they call it a theory. When you see Big Bang, yeah, for some reason scientists just sat down and accepted that this is how life began. Yet, you know, there is no actual proof, right? But when you see that, yeah, Big Bang, the the couple of formulas, the couple of mathematical concepts, yeah, that are derived to try and prove Big Bang, that are valuable today, yeah, things that you see, atomic bomb splitting the atom, what's going to be nuclear energy right now, a lot of quantum physics, yeah, is aimed at sort of conclusively defining the origin of what? Of life. But even if it doesn't conclusively define the origin of life, we know we are going in the right direction because a lot of this quantum physics is, okay, maybe after 1976, a lot of what we learned as modern physics, a lot of what is modern physics can be practically used even if it doesn't completely answer the question of what? Where do we come from, right? On the other hand, when you look at the good idea, yeah? It depends on how charismatic the guy who is introducing you to God is, mm. right? But otherwise, you can just replace whatever he says God. You can just replace I don't know. And you still come up with the exact narrative that he's making. Right? You see, and the challenge is you have put I don't know as a negative thing. No, no, no. In, in a good way, I'm saying in a good Science way. Science authoritatively no. told us yeah. that every single thing in the universe operates by the same rules. Until... Someone, I forget the name, discovered black holes. Mm-hmm. Hawking Stephen wrote a, an entire paper talking about how time, how matter, all those things are different when you're looking at black holes. Mm-hmm. And that poked, you don't know how many scientists almost killed themselves because they had these theories about how they thought this is, this is it, there's the nothing physics. else. Let me tell you, evidence. Black holes, black holes don't disobey the rules of physics. Okay. They comply. All right. This one, I w- we, we, can, we can pack okay. a discussion. Okay. But what I'm saying is sometimes the things that we think we know, and science sometimes lies to us that they are complete answers. But just because you're seeing, I'm seeing this is a table, uh, this is a chair, this is this, then that's it. There's no other evidence to the contrary. Why I don't know is so powerful is with understanding. Now, that's why I'm saying questioning and going into the nature of things. You start to see that the reason why this is a table is because we both, we are human beings in the sense that we have eyes, we have ears, we have hands. And so what I perceive most likely will be what you perceive until you remove these physical attributes. That's why I talked about psilocybin. It's a very strange thing what psilocybin does. It changes or alters like your mental perception start to see things differently. Start to see that this may seem like a table now in real life because we have you know, no, nothing else separate. But, but 
me no no <laughs> not that not that not, yeah, not that, no, that it could be an elephant but it could be a different form and that's why i'm saying that's the danger of all these that's 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 why mental formations form part of the self that was where we came from okay. mental for, mental formations allow us to perceive this world the eyes here if i'm using that example the lens through which the brain no consciousness is able to enjoy or perceive the natural world the way that we see it but science does not explain everything and saying i don't know is a valid question so many people have opinions so, in this world kenneth exactly so, so what i'm saying is uh instead of saying god if you say who created the world or why are we intelligent or how come they intelligent the, the, the what the ai yeah which is ai is not also intelligent if you compare intelligent if you set humanity as a standard for intelligence ai is it's not intelligent at all, right? But if you say, oh, AI is created by humans, how come we claim we are not created by humans, right? I think the valid answer, instead of God, right? If you don't want to go through the whole confusing Darwinian thing, the valid answer would be, I don't know, right? Agnostic. That's why I call them as agnostic, right? So the, 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 if you look at this in terms of function, right? What is, say, for example, there are things that are not proven. Big Bang Theory, for example, it's not proven, right? But it's the consensus, like private change is not proven. <laughs> the consensus of scientists, right? I hear you. The consensus of scientists is this is most likely the what? The explanation, you know, this energy crashing thing is most likely the explanation at the beginning of time, right? Why is this important, right? Compared to God, is if you believe this, yeah, and you try to follow down through what where that physics goes, yeah. You can still use that physics, even if it doesn't conclusively explain how the Big Bang starts time, you can still use that physics to do practical things today in the world or to predict this, the position of the farthest planet yes. that you know light can yes. reach in reasonable time, right? Yes. This is still practical and it still has applicable usability, right? On the other hand, there is God, right? This thing that whoever finds, whoever wants to define it defines it their way, right? Uh, one guy will tell you God is omnipotent. The other guy will tell you you are God and I am God and God is one and all. Then other guys will just bring a bunch of contradictions and say these are God. God is good and bad. God is tall and short. God is, you know, things like that. Yeah? When you say, okay, now that you've defined for me your God, mention for me one function of God. One function of God. One thing that God does that humans can't do. And then you start making up things. You don't know how they happen naturally. That God does. Oh, God creates earthquakes. So, like, no, actually. Then, then, after like a few years, the scientists come up with how earthquakes are created. And they're like, ah, no, God actually does the thing that the, the, the scientists separates earthquakes. You know, the. Uh, I told you this in the last thing. Yeah, but oh, honestly, you, Ken. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but Kenneth. I, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am not sure. And that, that's why I said the confusion comes in as well. Yeah. If you're trying to explain something, a concept as intangible as God, why in the world would you then try to use uh, uh, measurable tools to be able to explain something that is like that? So if you are talking about function, function denotes just because every just because as human beings we're trying to find meaning and you know this leads leads to that. I have if if you if you think of God that way, chances are you'll remain in a loop. Where you try to find evidence based on what, and chances are you'll then lose the plot. 
think of God existing outside of all these constructs. That's and why I said, and going back to what I was talking about, if you want me to use evidence, I've given you the evidence to show that if all these things we're talking about were random. So, here's the... Oh, no, right. Let me make it again for people who are listening, right? This very spiritual guy, uh, no, but not an intelligent guy, finds a child, yeah? And then they have a conversation about the beginning of the world, the things we're talking about right now. And then the, guy, the child asks the guy, but what? Uh, what is the earth standing on? Basically, what is supporting the earth? And then the guy says, oh, the earth is supported by a big elephant, a very big elephant, because in his uh, perception, the elephant was the biggest thing to think about. Then uh, the kid asked them, okay, oh, okay, that makes sense. But what is the elephant? Support, what is supporting the elephant, right? And then the guy is like, Oh, uh, the each each who each leg of the elephant is being supported by a turtle. I don't know why I came up with that. And then the kid was like, hmm? "So what is supporting the what? The turtle?" And the guy didn't have an answer. He said, "Ah, no, it's just turtles, tortoises, all the way down, right?" So first of all, this guy makes the assumption that there is an up and down, right? Uh, because of gut feeling, right? Uh, the same thing as the kid. Uh, when you're sitting here, you assume the earth is flat and the legs are down and the head is up, right? But until Newton could mathematically explain that actually we are all just circling around this mass, yeah? Th that's, when, that's how we get to know that we as humans feel uh, up or down relative to the earth because of the gravitational force of the earth but the Earth is also not down relative to anything. It's probably down relative to the Sun because of the gravitational force of the Sun. And the Sun, the same thing because of the gravitational force of the galaxy center. And, you know, and so goes on. Have you heard of the Egyptian pyramids? Yes. Do you know how, how old they've existed? Yes. Okay, now I don't know about that. Did they come before or after Newton? Uh, uh, before. They came before. Yes. When you look at the circumference of a pyramid, this is all scientific facts you can be able to get. Since we're talking about science, mm -hmm. you start to see that they mirror dimensions of the Earth. Yeah, okay. But for me, that's not mysterious. Now, you Auntie, it's... you said that all that yeah. that that uh, that a Newton is is that that after Newton determined that at the that the that the Earth is round and and, and, and the rest hmm. was because Galileo was stupid enough to contradict the position of the church that mm. said the earth was the center of the universe, right? But Galileo wasn't the first person to have that thought. It's just that he was a foolish one among the people who had that thought. To say, to what openly say it. It's the same thing here when you see the political things that are going on, yeah? Everyone sees them, every Ugandan sees them. But the guy who's going to get written in history as the guy who called out Museveni is the guy Museveni is going to murder for mm. saying the things that every Ugandan sees, right? So even before Newton, yeah, okay, what Newton did, what the, the, the genius of Newton was his ability to what? To express things mathematically in a way that you can't argue. You know, Newton's, his greatest contribution, I think, was his uh, mathematics curriculum specifically, right? Uh, and maybe the rules of physics, which I doubt whether he came up with those ones. But, yeah. The, the fact that he had a way of formally expressing concepts, he talks in a way that if I gave you the book, yeah, I gave you Prince Pierre, and I told you to read it, 
you'll understand things exact way as I'm telling them. That became another level of storytelling that communicated ideas so accurately, so accurately that two people can agree on one thing in a way that is exactly the argument we had, right? Mm -hmm. That is conclusively decided that this is what we agree on, right? So that's why I brought Newton. But the fact that the 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 sun, the earth rotates around the sun and so forth. I was just saying that these guys were oblivious of that knowledge because they had that feeling, the stories that well the, the people intuition. at the time of yeah, Newton. The sensory intuition. No, it's not it, it doesn't matter what time it was. Right? Yeah, but I I I have I've just uh, uh put it to you or brought it to you that the Egyptians and the mm. pyramids that they built yeah. were built around the solar system. And there are particular drawings actually for certain civilizations where they have drawings of sort of of uh, of our planets and so how did these people know all these things at that particular time that's what i'm saying people so, knew these things until mm. the catholic church decided mm. that the truth is their god and uh, so this is a political statement the, the newtonian revolution is a political statement i'm not saying the knowledge itself was not okay. available all right but all mm. that stuff was there but, but what i'm saying is for this specific example right a person who follows his gut to understand the world, right? Because again, most of the people who claim God is there, there is when you ask them how do you know, they say I know it in my gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what the, 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 my this analogy for the tortoises is to show that the gut can be way, way, way off. Yeah, if it doesn't have enough information. Of course, and we are on, we're on the same page, but I'd like to maybe uh, close that, 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 that particular discussion by asking you a question. How do I, how do you know that I am a, I am a human being? So, yeah, the social definitions of what a human being should be, okay. and you pass them, and okay. so, yeah, I'm 99% sure that you're human. Okay, but can you authoritatively tell that I am exactly the same as you? No. Can I also tell that I am the same as no. you? my friend if i went into the world yeah. thinking that every person is an alien or every person is another being chances are i would be labeled as you say either yeah. schizophrenic yeah. or i'd be this but beyond that as well you wouldn't be able to live you wouldn't be able to do anything you'd be you wouldn't be able to enjoy but i take the information that i have because there's no evidence to the contrary that the person sitting in front of me has a brain the way that I do, perhaps is thinking the way that I do. I That's I the problem yeah, okay, of okay. consciousness as a problem of... Now, going beyond yeah, that, yeah. ultimately, all those discussions about whether God exists or not, we're going into the realm as to whether all of us are human beings I or see, not. No, no, that's valid. That's valid. Uh, so what you're saying, basically, is that at a point X, where I present to you evidence, which I have, but I left at home, that mm -hmm. God doesn't exist, you'll change your mind. I'm saying that I have experienced God. Yeah, no, I'm saying, yeah. And in that experience... Evidence, the same way this Totas guy mm. didn't have, like, Newton's telescope to see what the plants look like. In the, in the sense where I bring for you that evidence and I show it to you like this, you'll change your mind. Well, I will wait for that time. Because, you see, most times uh, as well, yeah, we end... No, the, the truth is that many many times whenever whenever we have, you know, different uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. opinions or, or whenever there is... Or, Whenever we don't know something, other than saying I don't know, or other than sticking to what you know, no, you you then start uh, you come up with scenarios until those scenarios happen. L let me worry about that then. For now, I am strong and firm in my convictions. Until that happens, we shall we shall meet each other there. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so uh, the other thing now is free will. 
Okay. Yeah, and again, my assumption was, if you believe in evolution and all that, the forces that are always at play are so so vast that you you don't have a say. And you give a you give a great example for the other side of we choose to what to to go and jog. Yeah, I know for sure that the environment will choose for you whether you can jog or not. First of all, some people just don't have enough uh, time. So their basic, okay, I believe that their basic instincts, that as people, are uh, the same way, you know, a, a toddler is born and then the toddler can, you put the toddler on the nipple and the toddler can suckle, right? I think that basic instincts to uh, feed, excrete, and uh, maybe the sex, I don't know. Like, their basic instincts that are just part of the machine, part of this physical body we have, right? Mm. And I think those are the basic instincts when they come into a complex society that can become these things we consider to be complex decision making, you know, because of the multitudes. They, there's a, I don't know how much math you did, but uh, if I you failed math, so uh, there, there's a permutations. It's I don't know what was it level. I forget whether it was level or level, right? But permutations. If you have collections mm. and uh, you try to match them between other collections you end up with multiple combinations of things, right? And I think that kind of complexity is why it looks, the world looks so complex and it looks like everyone every day comes up with a theory and a new book of how we should make decisions, how, to, how we should be more in contra and things like that. But in, in a sense, I, I think that's what was actually beautiful about your book is sort of explaining that, accepting. Yes, but also talking about free will and determinism, I write as something I strongly believe, we live in a deterministic universe. In the sense, as you've said, one thing leads to another. Most many times we don't have control, we don't have a choice over what happens to us or where we are. And that's true in society mostly. That you will have all your ideas about what you want to do, but if you don't package them in a certain way, you end up going to the grave with those particular ideas. But what, why uh, I believe in the concept of free will is that free will is a preserve in my mind of your consciousness of your spirit because you are now and also your thoughts the inner you because you make choices then you can choose to be free you can choose to believe in x you can choose to believe in y whether that choice is then translated into action into this other world if it's a, if it's a deterministic universe and you know that in order for you to live comfortably in society you have to wear clothes I can decide to make a choice that me I'm going to walk naked. Mm-hmm. I have that that is free will. The choice that I will choose to do something whether it has gone against what society knows or what is seen as the norm. But since we live in a deterministic universe, chances are as soon as you get outside your home, even before you get outside, people will have already dragged you inside because they're like, "Ah, oh, how can you, you can't walk around naked? That that means you you're mad, you're wrong." So I believe that we live in a deterministic universe, but we have free will, which is a preserve of our inner selves. Another philosophers have thought this way. Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo is the one that philosophized about free will and talking about how, in essence, God gave us free will, but, and the free will is evidenced by the grace of God, knowing that at the end of the day, you still have the grace of God, but it's up to you to choose it or to reject it. Other... Uh, other Stoic philosophers, as I was saying, like uh, like uh, uh, Epictetus, is it uh, is it Epictetus? Epictetus 
He's talking about how you can be sick and yet happy. That shows that even in the midst of a deterministic universe, the choice to sit comfortably and pick a wah, that shows that there is an element of free will. I see. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a good point to, to conclude, uh, to conclude the, the conversation. There's always been that duality of whether I guess those are some of the things, like consciousness. I don't think we are capable of figuring out decisively. Yes, yeah. and that's why I keep telling you, that's why when I started, I spoke about the principle of non-duality. Duality confuses us that we now start to look at things from one worldview. And that's why, again, you know, I'm a Christian, but many Christians think that Christianity is the only thing, that the Bible is the only book that contains the secrets of the universe. But that's not true. That's one worldview one world view and if we consider these concepts in that manner in a manner that's binary this and that duality that there is this and then there's that you start as a human being and then you all those states are happening all at once imagine someone who is observing things or something observing things from outside of our of our scope of of uh, of understanding the ash and the bones that you'll turn into when after after you die will be the same thing as them they'll see before you were born when you're living and it's they're all states transitioning you're the same being now whether that being is the consciousness that we're seeing here maybe our our true state is before we, we are born which is i don't know <laughs> I don't, so ultimately when you understand the concept of non-duality hinged on the premise that everything is impermanent you then start to appreciate the things that are the things that you perceive are here that are right now and that's where enlightenment is, my friend. I hope that's where we end. Yeah, no, that enlightenment is in the here and is, now. This is a good conversation. I've tried to play devil's advocate as much as I could so you can get the thoughts out clearly. 